Yes. Rizzle kicks. Tag nabbit. This is British Wrestling Spotlight on the Indicorner.com. I'm Benno. And I'm Joe. And I'm JP. And today, in the main, we're going to talk uh, a lot about Fight Club Pro, a promotion near and dear to our hearts at the moment. All three of us, uh, across the two nights, were at uh, their big Project Mayhem 6 weekend, their last weekend. Uh, we're all quite big fans of the promotion, so we're looking forward to talking about that. Firstly, Joe, JP, how are you? All right, mate. All right, pretty good for a Monday. <laughs> Have you both recovered then from the crazy Fight Club Pro weekender? Oh, just about. I was a mess on the Sunday. I was absolutely knackered. But uh, yeah, the Friday uh, was a heavy, heavy night. We stayed for the after party. So I know you had to get off, unfortunately, Benno. But uh, yeah, the after party was quite eventful, I've got to say. <laughs> it's one of those things I never thought I would spend that much time in Wolverhampton, but it's about the third weekend I've been there now. With, I hate the, the fact that I have to spend so much time in Wolverhampton. It's a fucking <laughs> shithole. Finding finding like stuff to do to kill a Saturday in Wolverhampton was painful. I spent about an hour in HMV just looking at Blu-rays and the rest of it. Yeah, Pound Bakery, was a lot of fun. <laughs> You didn't fancy going to see Wolves at home, I believe, the other three o'clock game that Saturday? Uh, we considered it. Uh, tickets, £30 standard. Nah, I'm all right, thanks. I don't need to see a load of uh, Jorge Mendes uh, style imports uh, for, uh, for an afternoon in Wolverhampton. Yeah. £30 to go see Wolves. I mean, we complain about Brit Res tickets, but bloody hell. I know, I'm a Southampton fan. And when we were in the Championship in League One, I was paying half of that for games. It, you know, it was a few years ago now, but still, like. There's nothing, but the thing is, there's nothing else to do in Wolverhampton. There's literally mm. nothing to do there except get a Molyneux and get a Fight Club Pro. So, <laughs> when we were wait, in, no. there'll, there'll be a big re- regeneration project that takes over it, and it'll be gentrified in no time. <laughs> so when we off. were in Wolves the uh, the other week for the big Shikara uh, King of Trios, mm. I noticed the uh, the Wolves club shop there. And we thought, oh, let's have a little look in there. We walked over. It was entirely empty. I don't know if that was <laughs> really? an inside joke or <laughs> what the deal is there. Um, we went yeah. for a burger on the Friday night, this little burger restaurant in town. Like, looked like a kind of, you know, gourmet burger type place. But oh, it looks all right. Get a bite to it in here. 7 p.m. Friday evening, closed. Like, isn't that like prime hours for a restaurant on a Friday night? Surely all your trade would be coming in there. Nope. Town centre on that Friday before the show dead the only people i saw were wrestling fans going to the starworks it's, it's such a weird town <laughs> it's funny because i mean wolves is, it's becoming no more as a, as a wrestling town now maybe mm. all this wrestling traffic is gonna make a big difference and it's gonna become uh, come something else maybe it'll be the new second city in england maybe it'll replace it is birmingham the second city That's yeah, right. it is yeah. yeah yeah so you've got that right up the road so you've got to compare with that as well well i'm starting um, to but, think trent seven's gonna become like the new steve bull in wolverhampton as well surely at this rate <laughs> it's coming uh, moving on then I mean before we wanted to get into our, our main topic today we just want to talk a little bit about that there was a, a bit of an incident at the second uh, night of Fight Club Pro mm-hmm. I believe uh, I wasn't there for the second night I was there for the first and then JP you weren't there for the first night but you were there for the second yes so we should have the, the whole story covered on this podcast for you but I believe there was a bit of an issue wasn't there with a, a fan showing at a wrestler was it showing at Millie McKenzie um, something that probably 
belongs more in a in a in a bygone era, an attitudey era kind of uh, yes time. Uh, what exactly happened there? Um, well, without saying what the comedy was, it was a um, highly sexist comment at her. Um, get something out, basically. Say it politely, and um, the crowd immediately kind of turned. This is something that it, it's felt quite unusual given some of the kind of anecdotal reports you hear about shows throughout the country there was uh there was a lot of fans who immediately turned on that fan fight club pro apologized to anyone who was upset by it and assuming the fan was removed we were on the other side from from where this was shout from where it was shouted um but they were kind of on this straight away because and it, it was a. Uh, it was good that they were thrown out straight away. That it wasn't kind of. That it's not being tolerated and less and less tolerated. And and this is one of the the kind of interesting developments that's happening amongst sort of wrestling fandom, where fans now it, it's coming to a point of you know you hear that you can chant whatever you want, you can say whatever you want, and it's like with the obvious exceptions of racism, homophobia, misogyny. And any other kind of really offensive language, which is the kind of obvious, you know, being a decent human being things that you should ne- that you should never say. Um, so it, it's it's an interesting place at the minute where you're getting this kind of you had a bit of a self policing element going on, and there's other companies that we've spoken about before, particularly with what culture, where we've said that that self policing element isn't there. Plus, there isn't the assistance from the people who are actually working for the organisation to do anything to shut it down. Well, I mean, you say that, but I mean, this story seems mm. to have started something in British wrestling, and we'll get to the former, I think, what culture in yeah. a moment. But it is—it's encouraging, isn't it, to, to hear that that a crowd like a Fight Club Pro crowd aren't going to take that. I know Jimmy Havoc was uh, all over Twitter, wasn't he? Uh, yes, arguing with uh, with. Twitter accounts who will not be named because they're, they're after the publicity and we're not going to give it to them yeah. um, about the merits of, of women in wrestling and whether it's acceptable to, to say those kinds of things to, to, to women who are in the ring. I mean, it's an added element of it as well. You know, Mila McKenzie, part of it is that she's 17, isn't she? I don't think she's yep. quite 18 yet. Um, she's a wrestler. I mean, even if you want to make the excuse of, well, you know, that's what women's role was in wrestling for years. She's not coming out there as that type of a diva character she's pure wrestler she's got bags of talent um and it was just so out of place i was just i was quite shocked to to see her on twitter i mean the, the big thing for me that uh, the, the reason i wanted to bring her up was the comparison because i i managed to find myself at uh, the tnt extreme wrestling show in liverpool on mm. thursday um more of a I mean, I was going to say more of an adult crowd, but Fight Club Pro is an adult crowd. But there's something when you say extreme wrestling, um, I think it is actually with an E and not with an X. Uh, so they haven't done full 90s. Uh, I mean, they're trying to appeal to the adult audience in Liverpool. We've had a lot of family-friendly shows, uh, the likes of Infinite Promotions, which were pretty terrible towards the end of their run. Um, and it's nice that there's a promotion in Liverpool who are trying to appeal to adults. But I think you get that rowdy drunk crowd and pretty much the exact shout that Millie McKenzie got, Lana Rostin got in, in a segment in the ring at Oof. TNT um, get you yeah, out yeah. Um, and there was just I, I was just that I almost had to laugh because there was just no response to it. Nobody's, I mean, it, it's a standing venue, so you couldn't really tell who said it. 
But there was a bit of a giggle and a bit of a laugh, and then the show moved on. And I tweeted it out at the time. It's like, oh, come on, Liverpool, we can do better than this. Mm. Um, and it wasn't the end of the incident on the, on the show. I think there's, there is something about heavily male wrestling crowds, isn't there? Because later on in the show, there was, I mean, the match of the show was Will Ospreay and Pete Dunne. And during their match, um, a fan used a, a gay slayer. At, uh, one or both of the wrestlers, they were doing the whole uh, Will Ospreay as a cat thing, which you, you, your mileage may vary on that, but yeah, mm. uh, using that particular uh, slayer at, at both of the wrestlers was shouted down right away. I mean, people standing around me, a couple of my friends spotted who it was and were given the, the guy grief. Will Ospreay stopped and, and walked over to him and had words. And then Pete Dunne, who's the heel in the match, actually leaned over the ropes and has given him grief as well. I mean, I believe that fan's banned for, from TNT shows now, which is great. Um, but I did think it was interesting, the, the difference in reaction between those two incidents. I mean, I don't know, Joe, what, what do you make of it all? Is it wrestling crowds being wrestling crowds and we should let it be or is it i mean there's a i think wrestling has become more and more open and, and, and welcoming to, to women fans being able to travel to shows and and gay fans being able to travel to shows, all fans being able to travel to shows and this stuff kind of gets in the way it's just it's the old bad side of wrestling isn't it um i yeah it's not something that i want to hear at all i don't think anyone wants to hear it do they um uh, i think it's you know bloody awful that people are coming to shows and don't really have that much of an open mind and it's unfortunate that wrestling still seems to attract a minority of quite closed-minded people um one thing you can sort of say it seems like it's often kind of people who are kind of a little outside of that kind of like brit rest bubble i suppose yeah. who are coming to shows mm. and maybe don't get the kind of etiquette that is kind of in place and has been in place for a little while so maybe mm. they are more casual fans who have more of a casual view of women's wrestling i know that that a group of fans at a fight club pro show i was at a couple of months ago they weren't saying anything untoward towards anyone but they were sort of there comparing every single wrestler they saw to someone from the Attitude Era. So that huh. guy who's going out with Bailey or his tag team partner, who pretty crap if you ask me, um, they were just comparing to S.A. Rios. And I was kind of thinking, oh, I wish I was watching Mr. Aguilla or S.A. Rios and Heat in the year 2000. <laughs> But at the same time, you could tell that they don't really follow indie wrestling. Um, and you could tell they didn't really follow wrestling generally. They were just sort of out on a, you know, having a Friday night out. And, you know, that's their um, kind of scope for wrestling, I suppose. And it is a cheap night out. So, yeah. I, you know, I can't really knock them for that. Um, what I will say is if anyone's to make any comments that, you know, are not a sort of, you know... PC at a wrestling show then I do think that the crowd should shout them down and make them aware that you know that's not tolerated at shows um, it's the same in terms of chants that people make that are just stupid chants I know that I've shouted people down at Rev Pro shows for the moose chant uh, men on many an occasion I've got to say um, so if I did hear any sort of homophobic or sexist misogynistic slur at a show, I'm sure I would end up shouting those people down as well and sort of make my voice be heard. Um, fortunately, I've not really experienced it. I didn't hear the incident of Fight Club Pro. I think the only time I've ever heard it was at a progress show at the ballroom. I heard a guy shout, kick her in the uh, CNX Tuesday. And that guy was shouted down immediately and was just shut up by people in the crowd. Um, I remember I was at a progress show once where Jim, I thought, 
this is one thing I do have an issue with. I do think you can let that become the show, and mm. you can, and the promoters and the wrestlers, if they do react to it in the middle of a show and they stop the show, can almost become this kind of like, I don't know, like moralistic sort of, you know, police force in itself. And I don't want that to necessarily become the show. I do think let the crowd deal with it. Um, I do wonder if, say, Osprey and Dunn draw an attention to it once or twice, kind of sends a message that, hey, this isn't cool, this will happen if this is shouted out. And the fact that wrestlers have dealt with it a couple of times may send that message out there, but I do think that the crowd deal with it. I know that I was at a Rev Pro cockpit show a few months ago, and there was a guy there who um, was an absolute cock. I didn't see or hear it, but I've spoke to many people who were at the show, and the guy just was not cool on any level at all. Um, and he ripped a child's signs up as well at one point, apparently. Now, I know that this was dealt with and the guy wasn't seen at shows for a long time. But it mm. wasn't dealt with publicly. And I did kind of like the fact and kind of appreciate the fact that it wasn't done publicly. And it didn't become the story of Britress and it didn't become the story of the promotion either. And I do think there is a fine line between avoiding this becoming like a, a real issue in Britress that we can project and turn into an issue. Or I think you can kind of let it go on. Um, kind of in the background and sort the problem out a little in a bit of a sort of quieter, sort of lesser fashion and let the wrestlers speak for themselves and let the wrestling do the talking, essentially. So, yeah, that's kind of my two cents on the whole issue. I feel that, that and, and it's an interesting one, you mentioned about the, the TNT show, Benno. I mean, I would be assuming from that a lot of them, their experience of wrestling is a WWE-ized version mm. of wrestling. So it would be WWE and possibly TNA. GFW, whatever the hell they're called now. Um, and unfortunately, if we're looking at sort of depictions of women within wrestling and using those two companies as the kind of barometer for that, they've they've got a lot to answer for, even still, in my opinion. So, for example, I, I one of the things that always bothered me about the way women's wrestling has been portrayed in WWE is there's effectively two characters. So you're either the kind of stereotypical, nasty, bitchy, deaverish character, or you are the kind of innocent, wide-eyed, almost childlike figure. And there's very little shades in between. And it's the kind of like, that's been the depiction of it. The way that there's that, that sort of big emphasis on sort of makeup and costume and the like, which are all being kind of told through, let's face it, males within the industry who are, who are telling these stories, who are, who are suggesting that the, this is the way that the women's wrestling should still be presented. So as much as they talk about women's revolution, I mm. kind of look at them and think you're still behind the times. Oh, it's bollocks. My girlfriend's a great example here. So um, she got into watching a bit of wrestling with me through watching Total Divas. Um, and then I would have like WWE stuff on when I was still sort of watching it a little bit on in the background. She ended up sort of paying attention to bits and pieces. She got really into Chris Jericho and a few others. Enzo, she really liked. Um, but at the same time, she liked some of the women's wrestlers because she knew them total divas. But when she saw um, like um, women's fights in MMA, she found that the presentation of them was much better because they were presented as fights. They weren't mm. presented purely yeah. as contests between women. Okay, they they were fighters and they came to the ring or came to the octagon um, 
in fight gear whereas with women's wrestling the issue that she has is the presentation so why is charlotte wearing hair extensions why are her hair extensions coming out during a match why is sasha banks coming to the ring and like you know a full face and makeup and big earrings on and i'll be honest at that point it was something i'd actually never thought about but as soon as she said it i really started thinking about it started thinking you're spot on on this and this is a ridiculous way to actually present women when it comes down to it yeah but then at the same time i was started thinking ah, but some of the men's wrestlers i suppose do have their gimmicks like why if we want to break it down why does bray wyatt wear a hat to the ring and why does he mm. i don't know wear like weird shoes in the ring rather than athletic wrestling gear why mm. does kane wear a mask for example <laughs> so you know there are levels of ridiculousness that you've got a question. One of the things I do love with Fight Club Pro is how Millie McKenzie is being presented. Because yeah. I don't think she's just being presented as this uh, good young upstart. The whole presentation in terms of her ring gear and in terms of who she is as a character, in terms of just being someone who's going to wrestle and fight, I think is great. She doesn't yeah. come to the ring with a full face of makeup. She doesn't got her hair like straightened and yeah. you know done like a girl for her matches. She is a wrestler. She's going to get in there with the men. She might get. She's going to get in there with the girls as well. It doesn't matter. She is a wrestler, and she just wants to wrestle. And I think that is great. And I think that's a real step forward. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's it's almost kind of in some ways it's kind of sad that we're having to say all this in 2017, and that that this should have been in place quite some time ago. Um, I th- I, th- I can see that over the you know as women's wrestling is going to come more and more. Um, I suppose up front in terms of Brit rest, I, I can see you know women's matches becoming two, three, even four matches on some cards, which is which would be great. Which would be a completely equal card, kind of like UFC. Um, I think and, the level of the worker needs to get a it, bit stronger before that. I'm going to yes, disagree with you there, but um, it is getting better. But I think this, is a, lot, this Club, is a few more years. But down I the think road. on the Fight Club Pro show, the weakest matches over the weekend were the two women's matches. I thought Millie McKenzie was great and was booked to perfection in those matches. But I honestly thought that Jessica Havoc sucked, and I thought the Jessica Havoc Kaylee Ray match on the second night was probably the worst match I saw the entire weekend. So I do think there needs to be a dramatic yeah. improvement in the work before that happens because I'm not interested in seeing four women's matches well, on a card because I don't think the level of work is as no, good no, as No, 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 and, 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 and I think that's the place where you kind of want to aim to get to. But I don't think we're there yet, obviously. And I, yeah. think, I think that is something that's going to take time. But in terms of until we get that point where we have women's matches presented alongside the men's matches in a kind of... And we're just thinking of it as another match on the card. At that point, I think you're going to find the changes within the audience to get back onto the audience etiquette that they're going to be treated as simply other matches on the card. And I still think there is still part of the fan base who will look at these matches in as some form of, of as, as a match to be either mocked or kind of to make comments on. And I yeah. think... While, while that still while that still exists, um, that's going to be the the issue that, that we have for quite some time in terms of trying to educate new fans. 
it's bigger than wrestling, isn't it? Yeah. It's. I mean, I was thinking some of the the off color things you'll hear from fans and wrestling. It's the type of thing that unfortunately you'll probably still hear at the football match. Although again, yeah. there's a growing uh, movement of, of people who, who won't accept that, and that's a good thing. It's a mm. it's a bigger societal issue, isn't it? That than, than even wrestling. A lot most of our pop culture is is through the male gaze. It's you know, Joe, you were talking about uh, women wrestlers and the wearing hair extensions and everything's about being made up and movies aren't much different uh, it's uh, in a lot of movies mm-hmm. it'll be through the the point of view of, of the of the white male and the the women will be ancillary characters it's it's kind of it's in the west in general or probably across the world it's a it's a bigger issue isn't it that culturally than wrestling uh, how women are placed in entertainment and again you, you touched touched on there that the you know, a lot of the time in wrestling, the, the women are still there to an extent um, to be ogled, depending on the promotion. Um, there's a, there's a, they go after that fan, and I suppose you could say that there's a, there's always a, you like a Dragon Gate where a lot of the wrestlers are fine-looking young men who, uh, hmm. who attract, uh, you know, women and and and, and other men who are, who are into those wrestlers uh, at Dragon Gate. So there's that too. I suppose we don't see much of that in the West. Um, but it's difficult, isn't it? And like you said, Joe, it's I think a big part of it as well. The other bigger issue is is the strength of of, of women talent in the country. It's better than it's ever been. It definitely is. You've got mm-hmm. your likes, your Tony Storms, and even I mean, I watched the last Eve show that went on there on demand. It's from July. Yeah, you know, Eve, it <laughs> takes them takes them a while. But I, I was watching that. It was one of the first times I'd seen Charlie Morgan. Um, who looked absolutely fantastic, both as a as a heel character with all. Uh, crotch chops and crotch traveling and as a worker with a, with just a really great offense um she kind of won me over as someone i was thinking uh, i'd like to see her on more cards maybe it if if the likes of uh, fight club pro and progress and and rev pro might have the odd single women's match and i know you mentioned joe that maybe four would be too many but it'd probably be better for the culture of wrestling if women's wrestling wasn't this sideshow that gets put on for one match if the women were included a bit more if they if they, they weren't just rounding off the card if it was just part of the card i mean are we ever going to get to that point i wouldn't rule it out but like i say i'm going to stand by my point completely i think the standard of the wrestling has to improve before that's going to happen you know i can think and this isn't me being selective anyway there are a lot of shows that i've been to this year where there has been a women's match and it's been the weakest match on the card i can think of cockpit shows where that's happened this year i can think of a couple of progress shows where it's happened this year it happened at both fight club pro shows over the weekend like oh, i'm gonna get some shit for this i'm sure but i honestly believe that and i'm not saying that from any sort of like sexist perspective but it's on it honestly that is what i believe and others i've been at the show have, have believed that as well um what i find with female workers is they're a select group that i think are, are really top notch and that i really enjoy um and if i see them in a match i'm you know quite excited for it i'm quite into it i think the progress tournament that is on tonight actually mm. actually looks like a really good show yeah and i think the lineup for it is actually a very strong lineup. I think they've got a good mix of younger talent, a few more experienced hands in there as well. So I think that would probably be quite a decent show, actually. I'll probably end up checking that show out. Um, I think 
at the moment though it's going to it's going to it's going to take a couple of years before i think yeah. that there's going to be kind of that equal pegging between say the women's res- between women's wrestling and men's wrestling mm. but i also wonder when you think about the amount of female workers when you look at numbers of male and female workers around the country I'm sure the the number of male workers dwarfs the number of female workers. So at the same time, is it based on demand? Is it based on who's available? Th- these are yeah. all factors that have to be considered. And I yeah. do know that there might not be more females who get interesting and train while the, you know, the women's match is seen as a token match on a card. Maybe it's off-putting. I don't know that maybe if it is equal and it is even in terms of numbers of matches on cards, more women might get into wrestling. But at the moment, I think that we are a way off that. Yeah, I, th- I think it's. I mean, it it's chicken and the egg in a lot of ways, isn't mm. it? Because how are the women of the country going to get better if a lot of the shows are built around? If there's basically two slots on a show for women to work. Um, if there's not more places for for women to mm. go, um, then yeah, how do the female wrestlers get better? We talked on our last show, didn't we? A lot about Eve, and mm. they're trying to do move things in that direction. They've got eyes on working on on your call. I mean, they're, they're looking at putting Jetta in there with Kate Nash, who's going to bring a, a lot of eyeballs um, onto yep. their promotion. Um, but so yeah, Kate I think, Nash is wrestling. I think. I mean, that's what the mm. they were hinting at it, but whether it will actually uh, come to fruition, I don't know. But hey, uh, how else are you going to? It's probably the, the best way to, to fill uh, your hall there, get a big celebrity tie in there and maybe pay off some of that um, that publicity that, that, that they've got as a promotion Eve. Um, I mean, one other thing I just wanted to say, but just to, to wrap, I mean, what the main thing we wanted to talk about, we, you mentioned at the start there, JP, about uh, WCPW having some yeah. of the uh, the worst stories you hear like this. And they, I mean, this week, Probably because of it being a hot button issue online, they've actually put a statement out, haven't they? Where it's it's all the obvious things. It's respect the performers, respect the crew and staff, respect your fo- fellow fans, and it's even got a nice respect yourself in there at the end. Just the the type of thing uh, your, your mum would say to make you feel guilty. Um, it's it's sad, isn't it, that these wrestling promotions have to come out with a with with a, with a set of rules, um, maybe a bit more prescriptive. Uh, prescriptive than uh, jim smallman's don't be a dick <laughs> uh, but maybe it's needed with, with certain wrestling cards some adult wrestling cards unfortunately where you get a lot of uh, men in the building um they do uh, sometimes have some some bad eggs like that but, I, I was yeah. reading some of the responses to it for when they mm. put it up and there was you know there was an element of um they'd probably be known as bro flakes <laughs> um but people complaining i can't say whatever i want to say and it's just you know it's it's political correctness gone mad. Um, and I was just going to say, no, the idea of shouting sort of racist, sexist, misogynistic stuff is just not acceptable full stop. Mm-hmm. It just, it, it isn't. And the fact that, you know, if someone's being told that and they're being upset because they can't say that, then I don't think we want them at shows. And that sounds kind of, and I know there's an element of this where it's snobbish and we, you know, and there's there's a part of me that would kind of, you know, want to kind of lead the conversation onto a rant about chants that we don't particularly like. But I can tolerate those because they are effectively inoffensive if very, very, very annoying. And in the case of, of what culture, this is kind of something I would say, you know, this is this has been needed ever since they've they've been set up. And frankly, because they have never done anything about this before, you know they've kind of let, they let the problem get somewhat out of hand 
which kind of means there's going to be some pushback from some element of the fan base who've never been told this before, before, who think it's, you know, sort of whining social justice warriors wanting to complain about <laughs> about horrible things being said. And it's like, no, we just don't want to be at a show with dickheads. They'll be gone soon. Anyway. Yeah, they will be. <laughs> you know, you're not uh, feeling brave about the future of defiant wrestling, the, uh, the new name not. for rock culture. No. <laughs> I just hope, I just hope Wade Barrett's making a few quid out. Yeah, oh, the new commissioner. That's it. Oh, we'll, 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 uh, we're a bit stuck to time for d- today, but hopefully at some point we'll get to go deep, delve a bit deeper on uh, on what culture and the mm-hmm. j- changes that are afoot in that promotion. Um, Defiant Wrestling, not uh, Defy Wrestling, by the way. Yeah, they, a simple Google search might have revealed that uh, there was a promotion called that already. But hey, yeah. that's uh, WCPW for you. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, then let's get into our main review. I mean, we again talked before that uh, it was myself and joe that were there for night one and joe yep. uh you and jp that were there for night two i mean joe was the the one among us who was at both nights uh what was the the stronger of the two and what did you make it as an overall weekend uh car tough one to say really in terms of uh stronger night they're both uh different in terms of kind of the feeling i'd say the Friday was probably more eventful based on the uh, Death House, which, mm. you know, was kind of the story of the weekend, really. Um, I think I personally preferred Night 2. Um, I'm not a big Deathmatch guy, even though the Deathmatch was extremely notable and extremely memorable for many reasons. Um, but I generally thought um, Night 2 had a best selection of matches. There were a few more moments that really kind of um, resonated with me on Night 2 as well. Um, but I thought it was a really fun weekend. I did think, um, in terms of the booking of it as a weekend show, that there could have been a little bit more that connected the shows for as as a weekender like why was this a weekend show okay Mm. so like when you've got say a super strong style you've got that tournament in place okay so Mm. there's a reason for it to be a weekender when you dtti right exactly yeah so why was this a weekender is there maybe a tournament that they could use in future to make this a weekender i know they did the tournament last year didn't they the one that i can't think what it was called the one that travis banks won last year um so I don't know why maybe they couldn't have gone down that route with this, done that again. So I did think there could have been something to connect it as a weekend because it did just feel like two shows over the weekend and they just mm. did a weekender because it was the 8th anniversary. Um, so not any sort of major issue with that because I enjoyed myself on both nights, so I'm not going to complain. But yeah, maybe there could have been a little bit more context to it as an overall weekend, I thought. I think that's kind of Fight Club Pro all over, isn't it? It's yeah. fun. You go, you have an amazing time. They're one of my favourite promotions at the moment. But some of the yeah, the the attention to detail isn't always there. It's just some it's like a charming part of the promotion, isn't it? And I've I've got to catch myself sometimes. I'll forgive Fight Club Pro for things that I probably if Rev Pro or Progress did them, I've given them all kinds of grief. Mm. So you've got to be fair and you've got to say that that yeah, sometimes I mean, you mentioned Travis Banks, it was the Infinity Tournament, wasn't it, that he that he yes. won last year. That that's always a good weekend for Fight Club Pro because it's about the matches, isn't it? Um and it's e- it's an easy story to tell. Whereas sometimes the cards feel a little bit thrown together um, and some of the matches do. I mean, just going through this uh, night one, I mean, it, it got moved around a little bit, the card. It got shuffled about 
Uh, we didn't really know much uh, going in as to exactly what they were going to be doing with with certain wrestlers. Um, but on night one, we opened up with Chris Brooks coming out. Um, naturally, him being the heel, there was the nice uh, eight balloon, wasn't there, in the aisleway uh, that was there to celebrate the eight years of Fight Club Pro. And, of course, Chris Brooks being Chris Brooks, he popped the balloon got in the ring said that he, he wasn't going to wrestle and he wasn't going to defend his belt that night he was going to go and man the merch table um which again is a big part of uh what the issue is with fight club pro at the moment i think chris brooks is their champion but you wouldn't really know it when you look at some of these super cards the plan originally over the two days was he was not going to work a singles match at all so in, in in some ways the fact that it was kid like us being injured that meant his his big tag match with the callous hearts team that was supposed to take place on this night didn't take place and instead we got him in a four-way um what did you make of this then as a four-way i mean they had martin zaki come out as the babyface general manager yeah, he did some shtick and eventually brought out Sammy Callahan, Flash Morgan Webster, and Shane Strickland. Joe, for you in the building, what did you make of it as a match? And what do you think about them introducing or, or using more Zaki as this authority figure? I don't think it's the worst move. He seemed like he was going to be more of a babyface authority figure, so I think that's fine. I've got hmm. no real issue with that. Um, people know he is, you know. I did meet him once and he wondered how I knew he was. <laughs> but yeah, you see him around the show, so you kind of know who the guy is so it's not the worst thing i don't think um i do wonder why fight club pro have a championship at times because like recently there's been no kind of real kind of concentration on it at all like the travis banks run just ended so abruptly and it felt like it ended more for the shock and the surprise whereas at the moment travis banks seems to be having singles matches on every show and they're always good. Mm. So you could sort of be promoting him as a good fighting champion at the moment. And I don't think the title has made any difference to Chris Brooks. And he's not any more over as a result of being the champion. So it seems like they almost don't know what to do with him. So what one of the things I find a bit annoying with Fight Club Pro at the moment, what storylines are there that are in place? Like you've got kind of character arcs, mm. but what actual storylines are there? Like... I can't think of any real storylines that are bubbling under at the moment. Like, is Chris Brooks really feuding with anyone? Does he have any real sort of feud with anyone kind of that looks like it's on the horizon? Him and Travis Banks haven't really done anything with one another since he beat him for the title. Travis Banks, has he demanded a rematch? I'm not even sure. So Mm. it just seems all a bit random and a little bit all over the place at the moment. So personally, as much as these multi-man matches are really good fun... Um, I do think sometimes there needs to be a little bit more context. I would like to see a few more stakes in play as well, like on the shows. When you look at how many singles matches there were over the weekend, how many were there? Four, five over two shows, maybe? There weren't many at all. So they seem to specialise in multi-man matches, which I'm fine with, because I bloody enjoy a a multi-man match, and it makes them stand out as a promotion. But... Yeah, sometimes I'd like a little bit more concentration on feuds, and I'd like, you know, the belt to mean a little bit more. It's a bit like, oh, we've got all these guys in the building. Shit, what are we going to do with them? That's like, It's almost like that's the Fight Club Pro booking style sometimes. And I know this one was dropped on the lap with uh, with Lycos not being able to do the show. But it just felt like, well, we've got Sammy Callahan, We've got Flash Morgan Webster. We've got Shane Strickland. Ah, four-way for the title. And they just do it. And it, like you said, it was fun. Um, a lot of flips, <coughs> dives. Brooks doing his wet willy spots. I, I did mm. enjoy Brooks making uh, Flash Morgan Webster be like us with their 
their, their double team code breaker move. Uh, I thought that was kind of cool that he threw that in there. But it was just one of those. It was just a, a throw, a bit of a throwaway spot fest for an opener, uh, and probably not the the ideal place for Chris Brooks. Although I did laugh at the the, the finish to this spot fest being Chris Brooks getting a roll up. Uh, you mentioned before, Joe. Uh, uh, multi-man matches seem to be a thing Fight Club Pro do a lot roll-up finishes seem to be a bit of a theme tonight, uh, here tonight as well didn't they yeah yeah that sort of seems to sort of catch on a little bit over the course of the show didn't it um mm. yeah I'm hoping that they kind of yeah move past that <laughs> that's not something that <laughs> sticks, stays in place for a long time it kind of cheapens that finish when it is used I think indeed so next up we then had uh, Millie McKenzie come out uh and then we had Jessica Havoc come out. It looked like we were having a, a singles match. And then, wouldn't you know it, again, happened to be in the building. Kaylee Ray gets added. And we've hmm. got another three-way. Uh, so it kind of speaks to what we were just saying about the opener there, doesn't it? I mean, uh, the two of you wax lyrical about uh, Millie McKenzie before. Your you fans of Kaylee Ray. I, I gather that you're not a huge fan of uh, Jessica Havoc, Joe. Um, I, lo- I really like Kaylee Ray. I think she's great. Mm-hmm. Um like it's, I've got to say, this weekend I think I've seen the worst two Kaylee Ray matches I've ever seen. If I'm completely honest, I don't think I'd really seen her ever what I call a bad match before this weekend. Um, Millie McKenzie, obviously, was spoke about how much I like her. I like what Fight Club Pro are doing with her as well. Um, I've really have enjoyed the booking of her on this weekend, especially. She was in the eight way that I saw at or eight man scramble or eight person scramble I should say at uh, Bush Hall in London in August mm. and she was great in that as well and she got some mm. kind of standout moments and they really seem to know how to book around her in these multi-man matches to make her stand out so she got the win here um, she stood out in the match but she didn't stand out maybe as much as she did the night after but I did think Jessica Havoc just ah she's shit let's be honest I'll, I'll just say, say it I thought she sucked um, I, I kind of I mean in the role in this match I kind of liked her being the one throwing around the other two um, oh, I just thought then, the pace she worked at was so monotonous and oh I just oh, no it just wasn't she just isn't for me sorry Benno no, I mean, yeah, she definitely she moves a little bit like a like a slow turning bus at times, doesn't she? Uh, in a match <laughs> like this, when you got Millie McKenzie and Kaylee Ray flying around her, um, but I think in some ways they made it work. I mean, there was a couple of cool spots where they were kind of double teaming, and I think there was like a, a gory bomb, a uh, double gory bomb spot against uh, Jessica, Jessica Havoc at one point. But again, it, as a match, it, it wasn't so much uh, about the the in ring content. A lot of it was. The big thing for me was Millie McKenzie getting the win here. It felt like a big deal. It was also a roll-up. I've got to point that out. <laughs> um, but it seemed like set up for a, a big uh, weekend here for Millie McKenzie, didn't it, JP? Yeah, it did. And 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 Millie McKenzie, obviously, as we said earlier on, she's going to be on the uh, on the progress card um, at the Dome in Tufnell Park tonight. And she's, I mean, in terms of the potential and the upside. It's, I mean, there is a, a hell of a lot, but I think we also really need to be cautious to a certain degree and kind of let her develop. And she's developing in the right place when, in terms of be, being a trainee. And she's got, she's got presence for someone who isn't very big. And you see her and she's, I, I can't say she's much more than sort of 5'2", five, 5'3". Five, she really has that kind of heart that makes her connect with connect with an audience. And that audience already loves her in the same way that they love Amari. 
They've already completely taken to her. And she's she's going to be a star, fingers crossed. I think what they've latched onto as well, they found a way to really accentuate the positives yeah. of who she is. Oh, she's 17. Shit, she's 17. Let's promote her around the fact she's 17. Let's promote her around the fact she's 5'2". Mm. Also, the presentation of her, what she wears, like we've spoken about already, makes her stand out a little bit, in fact. So I think um, they've really found a way to take little details of who she is and kind of create her character and create and book sorry book around that to make her stand out more than um, other talents that they've booked previously. It's like classic Paul Heyman booking, isn't yeah, it? it is. it yeah, it is. Accentuate the positives and you hide the negatives. So her will be execution, there. I think. Maybe there's a reason we've not. I've, I can't think of a singles match of hers that I've seen. Maybe there's a reason for that. I saw a singles match with her in Fight Club Pro. I want to say, I'm trying to think what the name of the show was. It was the second one they'd done at the Starworks. And I'm trying to think who she was up against. Oh, what a time to have a brain freeze. But she had a, she had a singles match on that, on that card, and that was really impressive. I'm trying to think, was she up? I don't think it was up against Ginny. Oh, I could, no, it wouldn't have been Ginny. Anyway, I'll come back to it. I'll go and have a look. But yeah, the the... Upside is there with her in a very obvious way, and they're kind of handling the development of her character very well. And I don't think you know you don't want to overexpose her at this point, and kind of to get to, get her to do too much. I mean, there are issues for those who, who kind of you know, in terms of that element of reality in the, the match on the Saturday where she's suplexing everyone and you're thinking, right, this is kind of crazy. Oh, but it was great. But it was great. So memorable. Yeah, and it was completely Mm. memorable. And like someone said to me afterwards, Shima won, but we're not going to remember that. We're going to remember the Millie McKenzie, uh, like, (laughs) sequence, basically, which, you know, was booked to be the most memorable moment of that match. So, yeah, I think that really worked for her as well in in that match. The thing I wonder as well, though, is what is her ceiling here? Where do they go with this ultimately? Are they going to introduce a women's title? Are they going to have her challenging for the men's title at some point? Is they going to go down the Shikara route where, um, you know, you have um, like Sarah Del Rey winning the Shikara title at one point? Like, is that maybe where they're going with this? Is she going to be the first female champion in Fight Club Pro? Um, and, you know, that's probably going to get them some attention if they do go down that route as well. It's going to surely put attention on her. So, yeah, it's interesting to see where they go with this over the next year or so. Because I don't think sure. she's going to be going anywhere at 17, is she? No, that's it. She's definitely one of the... I think that's what Fight Club Pro are doing at the moment, turning out great young stars like this that we can all be yeah. excited about the the future on. Um, and one man who's, who's very much involved in that came up next, Travis Banks. Um, him and Jordan Devlin was our third match of the night. This was the match before intermission, uh, a bit of a short first half, I thought, uh, in the building. I was thinking oh, I would have thought there'd be a, a fourth match here. But this was, for me, as far as pure in ringos i suppose this is probably the best night match of the night as far as i was concerned um i think jordan devlin he can be hot and cold it depends on on the scenario but i thought here in just a a straight wrestling match with travis banks where they could just both do all their their great big spots do lots of technical wrestling at the start exchange roll-ups all that good stuff he's got the usual grief from the fans as well um, which, depending on your perspective, either adds or, or takes away from the match. But I thought it was a, a really strong match from the two. Uh, I don't know about you, John. Oh, it was my favourite match on the night. I think Devlin has been really 
underrated this year. I think, you know, he had one bad match and it was his highest profile match, unfortunately. And I think, you know, it's kind of affected his rep in some way. Um, but I think he's had a quietly good year in Fight Club Pro, in OTT whenever I've seen him. Like, I don't think I've seen him have a match that I would say is below average, aside from that WWE match with Martin Stone. Um, I thought he was great here. I thought him and Travis Banks really gelled. They clicked in their progress match earlier in the year. And I think there's something, there's like some really good chemistry between these two. I think if they were to promote a series between the two of them, they would always have good matches. Mm. Um, They seem to really just click. And this was just a really enjoyable match. I much preferred this. I really wasn't a fan of the Travis Banks uh, Mochizuki match the night after. I thought that Mochizuki didn't give Travis Banks as much as I might have hoped. I thought that the ending felt a little bit flat, especially with Travis Banks being a former champion who's just kind of coming off his title reign. So I was a little bit disappointed with that. But yeah, I thought that this they sort of really complemented one another's work here. Um, and it was a nice... Uh, finished the match as well but also I thought the, the pace that it was worked at and the length of the match worked for both guys as well it was quite fast paced it was a little bit quicker it's the kind of match that Fight Club Pro even in a singles encounter seems to specialise in really yeah you touched on it there I think that that would be the perfect use of both men wouldn't it a Booker T and Chris Benoit best of seven mm. series style mm. thing between the, the two of them um, Devlin does seem to be getting over a lot I don't know whether there's cheap Ryanair flights that get him into the country or, or what it is um, but yeah he's looked really good I mean are you a fan JP? I am a fan of, of Jordan Devlin I was really impressed with him um, when we were at, when we were at OTT as well it's there is a lot about him that he seems to be becoming a sort of a lot more of an all round. I mean, it was very obvious and unfortunate for him that people thought of him as, as a kind of like a, a Finn Balor clone. Um, but there's things. I think he's had a better year than Finn Balor. I think Balor. he's had a much better year than Finn Balor. I think that I, I kind of look forward to a Jordan Devlin match more than I look forward to any Finn, Finn Balor match now. But I can't remember the last time I watched a Finn Balor match, if I'm honest. Yeah. Um, but I think, I mean, with the amount he's over there, I think there's there's you can get some good mileage about sort of pushing him into a, into a title reign. I don't think that would be would be complete particularly untoward I also think as well it would give some focus to the title because I think as, as you guys have mentioned earlier on um, that that's one of the things that Fight Club Pro is lacking at the minute is the focus around around that title and I think he's the kind of guy that you can have as your as one of your regulars to do that and he is a regular now between him and him and Martina coming in most most months. Uh, next up then, Joe, we had a, a match that uh, I don't think uh, there's a huge amount of, of takeaway for. It was the Ohio's for Killers team of uh, Jake and Dave Christ against Scarlet and Graves, against Aussie Open, against and against the excellently named Black Coffee of Omari and Joe Coffee. This one was just a bit nuts, wasn't it? All the crazy dives, uh, all the all the stuff that would make Jim Cornette fume. I was there with my mate Colin, who's a, a big Cornette guy, and his view on wrestling is uh, not exactly aligned with mine. And he hated this thing, but I really enjoyed it. I don't know about you. Yeah, I thought it was good fun. It was what it was. It's the kind of match that Fight Club Pro specialise in, really, isn't it? Let's get a load of guys in there. Let's have them all at their spots. Let's get them all on the card. Let's get some unique teams in there who you don't see in many other British promotions. The Chris Brothers, who uh, I've seen a bit, but I remember them fondly as Irish Airborne in Ring of Honour back in the day. Um, (laughs) And... uh, 
Desmond Xavier and um, oh my god, I'm forgetting the guy's name. How have I done this? Zachary <laughs> Wentz. Zachary Wentz. Sorry, sorry, Zachary. Um, yeah, good fun. Was what it was. Seen this a million times in Fight Club Pro. Always, always delivers. Yeah, that's it. I think it was one of those matches where, I mean, the, the spots were coming. Every, I think the, my biggest uh, takeaway was uh, Dunkzilla himself, Mark Davis, and his yeah. daft uh, kind of, he picks both of the guys' legs up and puts it into a pile driver. I love that thing. I pop live every time it, it happens. And that's kind of what this match was. It was a match for, for big moves like that to kind of kick up the, the second half in, in the right way. Uh, Ohio, Ohio's for Killers team uh, won the match. Uh, and we moved on quickly to maybe the, the other side of the wrestling coin. And I mentioned my, my friend there, Colin, who's, who's not a fan of um, of the spotty kind of matches. This was more his kind because we got we followed it up with, I mean, this shows you what Fight Club Pro can do and the, the, the depth of their cards and the different kind of matches you get because we've got Shea Pearser and Dan Maloney um, in a match that some would call a comedy match and it was in a lot of ways but i also thought it was quite brutal and and in some ways quite great uh, i don't know what you thought yeah Jeff. i thought I, this is my second favorite match of the night i gotta be honest i thought that um shape her it was just a simple story wasn't it that was told like loik what's happened to me can you cut that bit out ben i, just, I, I, I became a brummy <laughs> that's all right <laughs> you say again. uh yeah i thought this was really good fun i thought my second favorite match of the night i thought some of shea purse's uh selling and his fire here were actually pretty good like he's quite green when it comes to a few little things like his execution or the rest of it but i really have quite enjoyed this storyline and i love the shea martina relationship and it's something quite nice and quite refreshing to see on each card um shea purser i don't know how long he's been working for but he's just hard not to like and it's quite hard not to get behind him his facials and some of his acting and the way he bumps are just great and it gets it gets him over basically so i'm all for the martina and shea i don't know where dan maloney goes from here i gotta say um I don't know what's going on with him, really. I'd like to see him higher up the card. Uh, yeah, I think here he was, you know, getting Shay and Martinez act over. Yeah. Uh, he probably needs to be, you know, come and kill someone at some point. So yeah. we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. Yeah, I, th- I think with Maloney, I think he's a really strong character at this place in the card. I think playing the bully. Um, even there's stuff where, you know, he's powerbombing Martina, and I'm not a fan of man or woman violence in wrestling by any means but i suppose if you are going to do it it kind of it gets him over as a nasty bastard you know pulling out martina's earring and stuff and yeah this kind of this is the strongest use of him i think i've seen i think i like him as a a character in this role as the kind of mid-car bully and he just works it really well And as you mentioned there joe i mean shay being uh although he is a trained wrestler. We all know him as a referee. So he essentially spent 90% of the match being Shawn Michaels in the Hell in a Cell with Undertaker, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. Thrown all over the place. It's the first time Shea Purse has ever been compared to Shawn Michaels. <laughs> I think he prefers Stone Cold Steve Austin with his uh, entrance coming out of Austin's music and his uh, throwing beers around and hitting stunners. And I think the biggest strength of this match for me was when Shea eventually did hit, you know, a big suplex and he did a kip up. I mean, the reaction was. Oh, yeah. 
it the... works, doesn't it? This, I think that these matches are structured really well. Like, they know exactly how to get the crowd into the big spots and how to build to them. You know, Dan Maloney got the heat for long enough in the match and then Shay made his comeback at the right time as well. People are into both of the guys as well. People love, you know, giving Dan Maloney abuse. It's, you know, I enjoy once a month being able to shout Dan, if I'm honest. <laughs> it's, it's great. Um, my kitchen planet chants often don't get over, but, you know, perhaps people aren't, you know... As big a partridge fans as I maybe uh, am. So, yeah, it's a bit of a shame. But, uh, sorry, what am I talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it was interesting that the finish of the match, they had uh, Martina kind of pee back Joel, the referee, out come back with a ref shirt on and she countered the pin off a off a stunner and Dan Maloney selling the stunner like he was the rock at WrestleMania 17. Um, I wonder which way, which direction they're going with this. It's felt like Martine has been more the focus of the feud with, with Maloney than Shea Person. Maybe that's the, uh, the next step here. But yeah, for a company that doesn't do a lot of story-based stuff, this is something that yeah definitely worked for me and, and gave something very different than the two matches that preceded it. Up next, then, we had the Team Dragon Gate uh, six-man uh, of Seema C- Ita and Mochizuki against Pete Duntren 7 and Tyler Bate. Difficult one to talk about this one, Joe. Uh, I was there with you in the building, and uh, as I said to you that at the time, I thought this one was good, but not great. Um, yeah. I think it was cool to see the Dragon Gate guys, so that was, in a lot of ways, kind of enough, but... I just didn't feel like it hit the next level. I'm not sure what you think. No, for me, it was just kind of there. I've never been into Dragon Gate. I've given, I gave it a go back in the day. I gave it a go again a couple of years ago. Just not for me, really. Um, I, it sounds makes me sound really ignorant, but I just wasn't really into the guys. I didn't really care about them. Um, that's probably a controversial statement to make. Um, but, yeah, I just wasn't interested. And I've seen a million British Strong Style six-mans, and I just didn't really think this one clicked as well as many of the others that I've seen so yeah I'll be honest I can hardly remember the match I was quite (laughs) drunk at this point I think (laughs) I wonder the danger I wonder now if if this is and and, and obviously I haven't seen the match but it it seemed to me that it was just another of the kind of British Strong Styles touring six mans it was but no different really from the Kings of the North uh, the Kings of the North one was fucking awesome that was awesome mine but but it's it's that they're kind of it's up against these three guys. What yeah. was interesting was you kind of had Dunn working his he was the heel on his team where you've got Mustache Mountain who were the faces, which yep. is probably the best setup for that team because I think uh, definitely Bate and probably Seven are better as baby faces. Yeah. So kind of like that dynamic that Dunn is himself just doing all the healing. But you kinda of had those guys working their match and then the Dragon Gate guys would get in there and do triple submission spots and work their match and it just yeah there was just a bit of a clash there and it didn't quite work and i mean the finish (laughs) it's the british strong style uh typical thing with three pedigrees but it's not even them doing it they have the three dragon gate guys doing it if i mean this felt like sacrilege a little bit the three of them doing a triple pedigree finish for this big match just wrong Uh, isn't it i know it was um followed up with the the triangle gate but i just yeah i'm just not it was the triangle insecurity, wasn't it? That was the actual finishing yeah. move. But I just don't think this thing really got the, the heat that, that I was expecting. I thought there'd be a, a really loud response for this to have the... I mean, it's been a while since we've had Dragon Gate UK. Seema did get a, a response there in the ring. 
Um, but it wasn't really uh, as heated as I was expecting. It was it was hardly uh, those Dragon Gate six months from Ring of Honor of Yore, was it, John? No, um, I, I'll be honest. I was I wasn't even that into those. <laughs> um, I just wanted to see the Ring of Honor guys. I was at the one in two thousand eight, and it was good. But I was I was far more into the Ring of Honor storylines. I wasn't so much into the exhibition match that was the Dragon Gate six man. I could appreciate it, but I don't know. It's just never been for me, which is, you know, not everything is going to be for everyone in wrestling. So, um, yeah. Um, yeah, I've got, not got much else to say about this one, if I'm honest. <laughs> one match that did get the heat and was probably one of the most Ooh. visceral, enjo- for me, enjoyable live experiences of my life. We had... Again, we mentioned the reshuffling of the card earlier on, and Clint Margera and Jimmy Havoc were supposed to be taken on CCK. They were replaced by deathmatch worker Ricky Shane Page and, and Drew Parker, who I didn't know had this side term, although I know he's done a couple of crazy spots in attack. Joe, it opened up with, we had the, the Ricky Shane Page and Drew Parker team in the ring, and uh, Margera and Havoc were about to come out and they pulled back this curtain from behind where the merch table was. It was it was all very dramatic and there was Clint Margera and Jimmy Havoc standing there in a deathmatch ring, a second ring that Fight Club Pro had managed to hide from the lot of us and I don't know about you, but that reveal when they, they pulled back that curtain and everyone started to stampede over, it, it genuinely felt like we were we were seeing something special. Oh, yeah, yeah. The presentation was amazing. Um, they mi- really found a way to make what just seemed like a match and a card that I was wondering why it was the main event really mean something. Um, I was really, really confused at the start. So when the curtain was coming across... I saw like something taking the curtain across and I was like, what's that? And I was, I don't know, I was a little bit lost, a little bit drunk at the time. Then I saw Jimmy Havoc and Clint Margera sort of stood elsewhere, saw some, like a bit of scaffolding around them. And I thought, oh, okay, are they going to do this like an ECW style match where the Sandman is like in the crowd and they take it out of the crowd, then it comes to the ring eventually. I didn't even notice they have a ring there. I don't know if that's a result of me being a bit of a midget or... It's a result of, I don't know, me just being a bit confused and drunk and it's taken a while for me to realise what was actually going on. <laughs> I looked around and you and my brother and everyone else we were with are just gone. Like I was like, oh, where is everyone? And then I realised that there was another ring and they were wrestling in another ring. Like it, I just don't, don't know why I didn't twig on quicker. Um, so my vantage point for this was quite odd. So Trent Seven started walking around where me and a few others were and just said to us, oh, guys, get in the ring. You can watch this from the ring because it's going to be hard to see back here. So I ended up for the first time being in a wrestling ring and watching the match from 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 the ring. So from one ring to another, basically. Um, <laughs> and I couldn't see a lot. <laughs> all I could see was like uh, bits of like light tube just smashing and flying in the air and I could just hear sounds of stuff and it was a really strange experience because it was like it was like I was watching it blind but just hearing these horrible horrible sounds and hearing people's reactions <laughs> but then Matt Richards was sat on one of the um on one of the in one of the corners and I just ended up chatting to him and he basically ended up just telling me what was going on when I couldn't see stuff so it was quite nice to have uh, him filling in doing a little bit of sort of uh, play-by-play for me on that one so cheers to Matt Richards um, the one I think thing I'll do that for your progress shows from now on in your own personal play-by-play man. I'm all right I, I can see everything from a progress show usually I can't see him doing this so not needed um, but the bit that I could see was obviously um, 
Clint Margera tape doing a Death Valley driver on Drew Parker from the mm. scaffolding, which was uh, fuck me. That was Drew a bit Parker. of a moment, wasn't it? Yeah, it is a nutter. I mean, I had the reverse experience of you, Joe, because I was as soon as they revealed the ring, I was over there, so I was pretty much front <laughs> row, and. Even though I was right there and I could see everything, the problem is that at a death match when people are going through panes of glass and there's light tubes going everywhere, every time there's a big spot, you're either covering your eyes or trying to make sure that you haven't got a bit of glass. I mean, there was a guy next to me who was stood there and he realised in his jacket pocket he had a piece of glass. Jesus. <laughs> because it was just flying at us every time there was a big oh. spot. And it was kind of... But there was something about it. I kind of understood. In that moment, I understood why people go to these CZW shows and and go and enjoy all this stuff. It was just absolutely nuts. You mentioned the big spot being Drew Parker taking the Death Valley Driver off the... Essentially, it was like a big... I don't know what you call it. Like a stage on the side of the ring. Yeah. um, Like a scaffold. Um, Him as well, Drew Parker, was kind of my MVP. Taking these nutty bumps, getting swatted out of the sky when he was going for a, a swanton by... Clint Margera and a, and a light tube. I mean, we've got to mention the the poor cameraman who took a, a light tube uh, to the head as well from Ricky Shane Page. It was just absolutely nuts. Um, part of me kind of thinks, why do this stuff? But hey, if the if these wrestlers are into it, then uh, I'd, I think I'd go and watch it again. It was just something uniquely wrestling about this spectacle taking place. And then even after it, with you've got Ricky Shane Page wandering around uh, with a crimson mask tapping fans on the shoulder and trying to scare them meanwhile in the other corner there's people over there enjoying the the after party of fight club pro and having a few beers it's just wrestling isn't it it's kind of what it <laughs> yeah, is it's, it's nuts. in a vacuum that's what it is well after the match when i saw you and my brother my brother was like oh i was covered in glass like glass was all over me and he was like shaking and you know it takes a lot to scare him I'll say that for certain um, <laughs> and then I was just sort of walking around looking at the destruction in the ring and just the glass and the blood that was on the floor was pretty vile to be yeah. honest so I was just kind of like I don't know even though I hadn't seen really what had taken place I was pretty shaken just by seeing the aftermath of it really um, so I don't know how those who could see everything was right at the front like yourself Benno I can't mm. imagine how you must have felt after this um, I'm kind of torn on it because oh, it, was, it was a moment and it was the talking point of the weekend mm. and I get that it was something Even special Brian Alvarez was talking about it on Wrestling Observer oh, Live I didn't yep. know that um, but it was something special and it was something completely different. And it was something to really, you know, get some headlines about coming out of the weekend as well. And fair play to the guys for being willing to, you know, go through this shit. But I just don't know. I don't get the deathmatch thing. I never will, I don't think, at this point. And this year, deathmatch wrestling seems to have become cool and kind of fashionable. And I do hope it goes away at some point. There's me being a stooge again and, you know, <laughs> being a stick I'm, in the mud. I'm the opposite now, Joe. I've been converted. I'm going to be uh, going out to DJ Hyde's backyard next year and uh, <laughs> yeah. taking in the next uh, tournament today. Do you think they'll bring in Nick Gage and Matt Tremont then? Like, <laughs> <laughs> God, I Nick Gage it's wouldn't the get in the ob- country. but <laughs> <laughs> It's the obvious next step, I think. Masada. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh. That's it. So it maybe it's not the type of thing you want to see every week, but like you said, it grabbed headlines, it, it got people's attention. Uh if you want to see any of it, the I was on Indie Corner Twitter account duties that night. So there's a there's a, there's a nice uh, video on there of the, the big spot off the scaffold and a couple of photos of the aftermath. But it's something that I'd certainly recommend people check out and if you get a chance, uh, have a look at that that VOD. Um and I I am interested in, in whether it does come across uh, as well on VOD as it seemed to uh, with me being close up and, and a little bit drunk yeah um, as but- someone who didn't see a lot of the match I was hoping to have watched it on VOD but I just haven't had a chance to do it yet but yeah I will get around to actually giving it a watch and actually seeing some of what I kind of missed at, even though I was at the show because um, I was following you too and obviously we, we have our own chats going on and you sent us like a photo from you in the ring I'm there thinking, oh, why is he in a ring? Why is it the blood? And then just seeing seeing um, the, uh, the the gif you'd put up, and I was like, Jesus Christ! <laughs> like, I wish I had seen it. At the same time, I kind of wish I didn't. I I I don't want to see it because again, I'm I'm not one for death matches. I, I would have been back in the day, but yeah. All I'm say, all I say, JP, is it's good that this wasn't the show that you were considering bringing your kids. You know, it, we <laughs> wasn't that far away. From that, oh, that would have been fun. Do you reckon you're going to watch this one? Yeah, I will yeah. do. I will do, and I think I, I want to see that moment of the reveal, if nothing else. <laughs> I think one thing you can say coming out of the show as well, you look at the sheer variety on the card. Like, yeah, yeah I said a little bit about um, maybe wanting a bit more focus in terms of storylines and stuff. But if you want a show with, like, sheer variety, and I've heard comparisons of people saying PWG is kind of like the... Sorry, Fight Club Pro is kind of like the PWG of the UK at the moment. PWG cards, I find, just lack quite a lot of variety. Whereas Fight Club Pro at the moment, I think there's just so much variety on the cards. Um, and I think it's one of the selling points is mm. the variety that you're going to get, the difference in the different types of wrestlers, um, the different styles that you're seeing on the different cards as well. So even though there weren't necessarily depth regarding storylines and feuds and meaning in matches, there was that kind of depth in the overall mm. um, variety that you, they are providing on this card. Oh, yeah. Sure. It's just not really for kids, this show. <laughs> no. <Indeed. laughs> so uh, that wraps up night one. Uh, we're going to take a, a quick break now. Uh, and after the break, uh, JP and Joe will take you through night two uh, of Fight Club Pro and their Project Mayhem weekend. Um, so stay tuned and we'll be back in a moment. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to part two of the Fight Club Pro Project Mayhem 6 review here at the Indie Corner. Now, the voice you're hearing right now isn't the voice of the usual host. Unfortunately, Benno is currently in Turkey, so is unable to record the bastard. So that means that I've got to do hosting duties for the evening. Uh, But you're back here with myself, Joe, and... JP. Hello. So, this may seem completely unnatural, because hosting isn't my forte, uh, but we're going to get underway with night two here. So, Benno wasn't at night two either, but I know mm-hmm. he has watched it back on the VOD, but me and JP were at night two. So, JP, night two, what were your thoughts, or your very drunken thoughts yeah. on night two? Oh, that was problematic. Um Overall, um, looking back at it, it was it was really good fun. It wasn't at the the kind of higher echelon of Fight Club Pro shows that I've seen and have been to. It also didn't have 
the kind of spectacle with um, that you had with the uh, death match the night before, and obviously for a lot of the audience who'd already been there in the first night, it kind of felt like a slightly kind of bit of a down, bit of a down from the big highs of the night before. That's not to say it was bad, but overall, yeah, good. Not great. Yeah, I do think it peaked on night one with uh, Death House. This felt like a kind of post-Death House show, if anything. Everyone was still kind of reeling from the night before, people nursing hangovers, people kind of calming down from the thrill of a night before and, you know, a spectacle unlike many of us had ever seen before in the mm. UK at a wrestling show. So I do think that was kind of not hanging over the show so much because that makes it sound like it was a bad show or... You know, it was something distracting the show, but I did. I do think the weekend peaked at that point on night one. Do wonder, in hindsight, whether we could have waited a night or whether they could have waited a night and they could have maybe made at the main event of the final night. Um, not mm. sure why that was, but yeah, to me, I do wonder in hindsight because Ricky Shane Page wasn't on the card the night after. I don't know if he was working anywhere else, if he had another booking. Uh, Drew Parker, I'm pretty sure I saw Drew Parker at the show. I might be wrong, but I'm sure it was him I saw. Mm. Um, so maybe they could have made, saved it for night two, but really it didn't matter. I still thought this was a fun show. Um, mm. I didn't think, like I said, it had the same, and like you said, it had the same spectacle of the yeah. night before. But there were still a lot of solid matches. Again, they had to change the card around slightly because of Lycos's injury. So we got the opener, which was Chris Brooks versus Eater. Eater of sorry, I'm not a big Dragon Gate guy of uh, Dragon Gate fame. Um, JP, what did you make of the opener? Uh, good fun, but not exactly memorable. Um, in the sense, it, it kind of was. It was good fun. There was some early comedy with. Ita coming out with the cone for, for Lycos. Lycos on the outside, and again, it kind of really showing how Lycos and Brooks as, as heels is, is so much more fun than, than them as faces. Um, but overall, a good match, not particularly... I don't know, it, it just didn't feel sort of spectacular enough. I'm kind of following this pattern of the, of the Chris Brooks um, FCP uh, title reign. That it's it's quite unspectacular at the moment. I'm, I'm yeah. waiting for something to kind of happen here, and this kind of, you know, you, you li- you're watching it and you're thinking, well, I is not realistically realistically going to win this. So I kind of really wasn't emotionally as emotionally invested in this as as what I would have been in, in other matches. However, um, it's not like it's disappointing. Um, death by roll up again. Yeah, it was a decent match. Um, Solid opener, I thought. Nothing spectacular. I think Brooks was probably quite happy with the match because I know he's a huge Dragon Gate fan. So it seemed like a kind of bucket listy uh, kind of match for him, I imagine. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, What I'll say is uh, I'm a big Chris Brooks fan, big CCK fan. Sometimes in singles environments, I do feel like Chris Brooks looks a little bit, not unconfident, but not necessarily as sure of himself what he's as he is when he's in that kind of multi-man environment yeah. he's got more around him and he's got more components to work with in, in a match um, it's something I'd like to see him get better at considering he's got a singles title and I do think what is he 25, 26 yep. there's a really good heel singles run in there uh, for oh, Chris absolutely. Brooks I see 
him in progress as someone that they can really push over the next year. And I hope he gets that push because there's something there. It's just getting a little bit more confidence. It's becoming that little bit more sure of yourself mm. and coming out of your comfort zone a little bit. Cause I think he's so comfortable within that multi-man environment really. Yeah. I mean, in some ways you'd like to think that he's going to be kind of fulfilling the, the role that when Pete Dunn ends up full time in Florida, that, he can fit into that role. God, he's he's going to have to get really fucking good in a singles role if he wants to be... <laughs> absolutely. But I also think as well, you know, the more he works singles, yeah, of course, the more of the course. more this is going to come about. And and as long as he's kind of, you know, given the time, it's it's going to... It's going to happen. Sure, sure. Um, next match following that was the callous hearts of Clint Margera and Jimmy Havoc versus Scarlet and Grays. That's uh, Desmond Xavier and Zachary Wentz, or mm. Wentz, I don't know how you say that. Yeah. Um, for this one, uh, coming from my perspective, I thought they should have given the guys the night off, personally. I loved the entrance mm-hmm. and the stand innovation that they... Uh, they really sort of uh, had earned the oh, night before. Yeah. Uh, when we talk about hangovers and looking fucked from the night before, my God. Clint Margera, more so than Havoc, looked like he was really nursing one ear, I've got to say. Yeah, he... A few bumps and bruises. Uh, yeah, it was a, yeah, a match that I thought didn't need to happen. I thought, get the guys out there. Let them cut a promo. Let them talk about the night before, maybe. Mm. But this match for me was just meh. Or even just kind of like even a, a run in towards the end would have been in one of the other matches would have, would have been good fun. Um, I also think as well. I, I personally, I mean, from when we've seen Scarlet and Grace before up against uh, CCK, one of the things that I would have liked to have perhaps seen them, and he might have worked well, is with them with the Dragon Gate guys. Yeah, it's um, a great shout. Um, I think that would have been really good fun. Here, it kind of it felt like. Some obviously it was going to be feel like a lull after the night before. So while you know it's not like people were going to completely turn off to it or anything else, it kind of felt like it didn't need to exist. From my perspective um, as well, I got to say with your Dragon Gate point, mm. I can see where you're coming from completely because mm. Wentz and Xavier are a decent team. Mm. So I think you could have got a better Dragon Gate match from this and I think Jimmy and Clinton earned a night off um, or just a promo basically yeah. but I do wonder whether it was them wanting to get the Dragon Gate guys in against their own guys Yeah, Brooks getting his match against one of the Dragon Gate guys um, Travis Banks I don't, know, I don't know if Travis Banks is a big Dragon Gate fan as well maybe he is who knows he, did, he, did, he was over in Japan at one point in his career he was so, yeah 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 but I did wonder whether you could have done maybe like she, taking Shima out of the multi-man match thrown yeah. Travis Banks in there in Shima's place changed things around a little bit and done uh, Brooks and Banks again oh sorry I meant to say done uh, Ata and um, Machizuki mm-hmm. Against uh, Vents and Xavier, but it wasn't to be, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. We got what we got. The match wasn't bad by any means. It just kind of felt like it was there, and it was a bit messy at points. I wasn't yeah. really into it, if I'm honest. Yeah, same here. I mean, um, but again, kind of fun, but really did, didn't need to exist. No, I'm completely with you. For the following match, for me, was the match of a night, possibly. Um, taking the spectacle of Death House away, 
arguably the match of the weekend, I thought, in mm-hmm. Amari and Shane Strickland. What did you think of this one? I thought it was absolutely great. Um, it's With Shane Strickland, he is, like David Starr, one of the guys who comes over and you always get your money's worth with him. He, he just doesn't have bad matches. He's incredibly good. And I'd just like to point out one of the matches, if you you would have probably heard it being spoken about, was the match, the um, death match he had with A.R. Fox in Lucha Underground. Oh, I watched it last week, yeah. Um, Jesus Christ. Um, but in this, it, him and Amari, it was, it was really good because you had um, Amari, again, kind of really proving himself, hanging with, with Strickland, Strickland just so fluid in the ring, absolutely great. The crowd love Amari, um, and here again, you know, sort of really showing that fighting spirit. Um, with him, you just can't help but feel he's, he's, he's going to be a really big star um, if he carries on on this trajectory. Uh, in the end, Shane Strickland wins with the um, JML driver. But at the same time, it wasn't necessarily about the result. It was kind of like the quality of the match itself is what people remember. The fact that Strickland, every time comes over, his reputation is enhanced. And Amari, every time he, he is out there, his reputation is being enhanced. Having seen him beat Keith Lee the was it the month before um, or two months before, you're just thinking, you know, this guy is on such an upward trajectory. Yeah, Amari had a great weekend here once again. Um, sort of proved that he... I don't know how long he's been wrestling, but for me, he... You, I'd probably give him the sort of accolade of Rookie of the Year, especially yeah. on the UK scene. I, I can't remember seeing him wrestle in 2016 at all. Well, there's um, one other contender we're going to speak about for that for that title. Yeah, well, I, think, I think Amari, for me, has that in the bag, though. Um, as much as the contender coming up has been... Awesome. Yeah. Um, I do think Amari's done that little bit more, and he's hung in there in singles with guys as experienced as Shane Strickland, as Keith Lee. Yeah. So real, you know, bona fide touring indie talents mm. that are booked worldwide. There's this guy who really gets booked in the Midlands, mm. who's been having great matches at every Fight Club Pro mm. show. I do think. Uh, the whole presentation of him is this homegrown talent. He's got the Rizzle Kick song, which yeah. is a nice piece of entrance music, which works for him as well. I do think it all works um, in a way that really sort of engages, and it's hard not to get into his act, really. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be interested in seeing him in progress, because he's not going to have Rizzle Kicks. He's going to be in the ballroom. He's going to be in a slightly different environment. Mm-hmm. It's going to be very interesting to see him in that different environment, but that sort of high-profile environment. And I hope... I really hope that it works out quite nicely for him. But our progress stealing Fight Club Pro storylines once again, <laughs> or borrowing, maybe a bit borrowing. of homage. Homage. Well, I, I think as well. I mean, they've, it's it's one of the things with with because they've got a match up coming with them and um, Aussie Open um, are teaming up in a, in a, in a six man at the next Progress show in London. It's going to be fascinating because obviously, yeah, there is going to be that so much more exposure um, with with progress. So it's going to be fascinating to to see how he gets on there. I can see Amari, if I'm honest, potentially winning Super Strong Style next year. Yep. Poten- early shout, early shout. Travis yeah. Banks this time last year was just some guy who was really good in Fight Club Pro. 
that was teaming with TK Cooper in progress and look what happened there. So yeah. if if you wanted to take a sort of wildcard pick on someone, yeah, I can see it being uh, Amari. Yeah. I think he's a little bit more likeable than, say, a Mark Davis, who looks like he, well, who was just about to debut in progress yeah. as well. Um, yeah, I thought they gelled really nice. It started a little bit slow, but Strickland really found a way to sort of up the pace of the matcher for... Mm-hmm. And got the crowd into it at the right time. And the crowd was so willing to get into whatever Omari was doing anyway that the match was kind of, you know, at an advantage because of that. Because you knew that they were going to get into it and invest eventually. Um, i got to say as well, Strickland's finisher, I love that finisher. The, uh, what is it, the kill shot or JML driver. Yeah. Really nice finisher. Amari losing. But I don't think he's lost anything from losing because he showed that he could hang in there again with someone who's a top tour and indie star. I've got to say, Shane Strickland, whenever I've seen him in Fight Club Pro, always delivers. Every single time he's delivered. Mm. Someone faced Haskins in Fight Club Pro um, in London about a month or so ago. Again, another great match. Probably my match of the night there as well. So Mm. he's someone who I hope continues to come back to Fight Club Pro. It's a shame that Rev Pro only book him in tag matches with Ryan Smile because he's got a lot more to offer than just being the tag partner for a wrestler who isn't as good as him, if you ask me. Right, moving on. Uh, Travis Banks versus uh, Masaki Mochizuki. Um, yeah, again, I've got to say, I don't know what it is about the Dragon Gate stuff, but I just feel a little bit, I don't know, I find it hard to get into. Um, I always have done, as I said earlier, and this one for me, it wasn't bad, like by no means at all. I kind of liked the um, offense that Travis Banks got early on in the match where he got a decent bit in. But I thought as the match went on, Mochizuki kind of just killed him towards the end. There was no yeah. sort of like drama um, at the conclusion of the match. It kind of just ended. Um, and it was, yeah, it was just a kind of, bit annoying to be honest because I thought they might have given Travis Banks that little bit more um I don't know much about Mochizuki but uh he used Travis Banks uh own finisher as well mm-hmm. the uh or was slice of heaven mm-hmm. um and it just sort of came out of nowhere if you ask me I would have liked yeah. this to have gone a little bit longer um but I also think coming after Amari Strickland didn't help it either yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it was the perhaps the positioning of, of this match, if it had been, um, you know, it, for me, it didn't feel that it was, it, it should it, it just should have been a lot more to him. And here, Travis Banks, actually, I thought looked a lot smoother than Mochizuki. Um, I'd like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying Travis Banks is sort of treading water at the moment, but it'd be nice for them to find something substantial that he can really get his teeth to mm. teeth into in terms of storyline, which I think is kind of the story of the weekend itself, is that in a sense with the Dragon Bait guys and the Ohio invasion, you it, it's, it kind of puts all storylines on hold to a degree, for the most part, apart well, from one bit we're... we're coming up with to. Fight Club Pro they don't seem to be doing storylines in the same yeah. way as say other promotions I do at times that's kind of their calling cards over to put these dream matches but I do wish there would be slightly more emphasis on storylines I think they mm-hmm. could be a little bit stronger at points there could be a little bit more investment in certain cards if they were to concentrate 
on actual storylines like, a little bit more. I think Chris Brooks desperately needs some sort of storyline. Oh, a belt. absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> I think it's calling out for that, to be honest. Um, Brooks Amari would be the storyline you'd build to, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think so. I think so. If you're going to stick with Brooks as champion, I think that's the route you've got to go. Although, I wouldn't mind seeing Travis Banks get it back from him, because I yeah. could see Travis Banks and Amari being a better um, and a more kind of... Uh, interesting match long term to be honest with you know the guy who came over from New Zealand finally got his moment in the sun going up against this young upcomer his training oh yeah of course I didn't even think of that so I think there's a more interesting story at hand there with Banks and Amari if they did want to build to Amari winning the belt Mm -hmm. and also they can make that belt mean a hell of a lot again if Amari was to capture it after being this kind of young upstart rising through the ranks and it would be a nice Mm -hmm. big sort of gradual win I imagine as well Um, after that we got we had the intermission and then this was followed by an interesting (laughs) segment that seemed kind of impromptu where um, Chief Deputy Dunn who I think is used uh, to the best of his... Uh, well, I think the gimmick's used to its strongest potential, both here in Fight Club Pro and in Attack. Don't think Progress have really got how to book it so far. He's just kind of seemed like he's there, and it kind of hasn't really fit the environment. Um, but what I would say was this was kind of fun... We got Martina involved. Um, we then got... I think Damien Dunn demanded that Martina come from the bar because she was working the bar that night. Um, so Martina comes from the bar. Then we get a run-in from Jack Sexsmith. Shay Purser turns up. And we just get a whole load of uh, Mr. Coco-style uh, fun madness to end this um, bizarre segment. don't know if this was kind of impromptu because Sexsmith was kind of hanging around all weekend. So I don't know whether they wanted to give him something to introduce well, him to. Oh, okay. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, he's moved He's moved up there. He's announced it himself. He was at Wolves, Wolverhampton Pride. Um of Wolverhampton as... Pride, eh? <laughs> Wolverhampton Pride. I was at Wakefield Pride recently. Was he there as well? I didn't see him there, unfortunately. I, I, we didn't miss Wakefield out. Wakefield Pride. Yeah, he didn't miss out on much. It was a bizarre day. <laughs> um, yeah, with this one, I mean, I, I think this is the one that I, in terms of introducing Sexsmith into Fight Club Pro, which I think is really going to be so beneficial as well, particularly given the kind of strength of the training and the strength of everybody who works there. And the fact he can interject himself quite neatly into the Martina, Shay, the barely legal, Dan Maloney style uh, stories that are going on. Plus, at the same time, he'll get to um, wrestle against a whole variety of opponents who are going to be really, you know, between, let's say, your Travis Banks. You could have him him having a match against Chris Brooks um, just, you know, while he's kind of getting himself into the kind of swing of the storylines in Fight Club Pro. So, yeah, yeah, good move. Yeah, most definitely. It's a shame for him he's got to live in Wolverhampton because, God, moving from North London to Wolverhampton, that's got to be a bloody culture shock, I tell you. I know where I'd rather live. Um, No offence, Wolverhampton. Um, Following on from that, we had a typical Fight Club Pro scramble match with Mark Davis... Kyle Fletcher, Jordan Devlin, David Starr, Mark Haskins with new music. I'm assuming he's made some sort of heel turn here that didn't 
was kind of unannounced and has just kind of happened. Mm. Shima and Millie McKenzie, perhaps the most bizarre lineup <laughs> for any match I've seen live. I think. Yeah, I think Matt Richards introduced it as a multi-house scramble, which yeah. is an interesting term. I don't know if he came up with that himself that night, but hey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so JP, what about this one? Um, this really, it's strange to say in this entire match of all the, the sort of, um, mixture of up and coming stars who have been sort of really noticeable plus the, um, the kind of more established stars, your Haskins, your David stars, obviously Jima, but Millie McKenzie, it kind of felt like this was kind of a coming out party in a way The um, they're very good mm-hmm. at booking, um, intergender matches, Fight Club Pro. Um, they know how to do it. I mean, you saw the Chris Brooks Nixon Newell match. Yeah, it was great. Um, yeah, yeah. On her last weekend for the company. Um, here, it really was the the coming out party for her, um, and it was tremendous. I mean, with the big noticeable spot being the, when she su- uh, belly to back suplexed everyone in the ring, um, and she really has. Like the the kind of it's it's very genuine, the very genuine, likable yeah. underdog. Um, hey, you can't help but like her. You can't help but go along with her. The fact she's really good for her age, and yeah, she's in there with a lot of people who she's going to be learning a lot from. And she's she's not big at all. She really, I mean, the potential is if harnessed right, and having her working a lot more matches. You'd like to think in she reminds you of Nixon Yule. Obviously, yeah, Nixon Yule is was a lot more developed, but that yeah. kind of you know the fact that you really like her and the fact yeah. that you become really invested in her matches. Yeah, and I think she's naturally quite likable, and she's going to improve in the ring. And I think her personality is going to grow with a little bit more as well. What I'll say is, I thought the match was really well booked. It was a lot of fun. For mm-hmm. one, and they, this is where Fight Club Pro, I think, kind of thrive in these weird, random multi-man matches. Yeah. But what I came out of it thinking was, at the end of the day, Shima's just won this match, but no one's going to remember that. Yeah. Everyone's going to remember Millie McKenzie. They essentially made her in this match. They used a guy who, you know, is an absolute legend in, in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a guy who's been around for years. He, she, he was, she was also in there with Haskins, Jordan Devlin, lots of guys with lots of credibility from lots of different areas, and she was allowed to stand out. I thought the match was booked around her and booked around getting her over in the most effective way possible. Yeah. It's one of my favourite moments in wrestling this year, I think. Yeah. I know that sounds odd to say. If you'd have said one of my favourite moments in wrestling would have been based around a 17-year-old girl, I'd have laughed, really, because... I'd have wondered why there was a 17-year-old girl in the ring with Shima. I would have wondered if there was a Kenny Omega versus nine-year-old DDT kind of scenario going on again or something. But this was completely legitimate, and it worked. It really, really worked. And all, all, like, fair play to Fight Club Pro here, because I don't want to say it's a risk, but it's something totally different. And the fans have just totally accepted it and totally been swept up in it that's kind of a testament to the time we're living in as well that Mm. this is able to happen in wrestling it's the right company for it i don't think this would Mm. necessarily get over in every company in the uk but fight club pro made it work yep they really have and 
And that sounds like a real disservice to almost everyone else in the match. I kind of think by, by the fact we've we've not really really spoken about them because I mean with her as well there was so much. It was kind of really magnetic watching her do this and thinking she's re- she's absolutely hanging with them. She's completely living living up to her end of the bargain. But also in there as well, you had like the usual cavalcade of sort of big moves going on with a group of other guys, all of whom are are good, um, all of whom are able to kind of hit those spectacular moves, particularly again the Mark Davis uh, pull-up pile driver, which is Jesus Christ. One thing I wanted to say about Mark Davis pull-up pile driver on Jordan Devlin was it came after Jordan Devlin had destroyed Millie McKenzie, which was great because Jordan Devlin in Fight Club Pro was a, a little bastard. Yeah, uh, I think he's been great whenever I've seen him in Fight Club Pro this year. But it got him like really good heat at a really vital time. Yeah. Because it was him that cut Millie McKenzie off. It was him after that top rope run that she went for that ended kind of her dream of picking up the like most ridiculous win maybe in a Fight Club Pro ring ever here. Yeah. And he got heat coming out of the match for it as well, which was great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I thought it was unusual that, that Haskin was pinned. Haskins was pinned. Yeah, I don't I know couldn't... what's going on with Haskins here. I wonder there must be some sort of heel turn well, going on. Perhaps it's... he's looking for something fresh. I do think he needs something fresh yeah. generally. I think this is kind of following on. Perhaps this is the next stage of his of of his character throughout the country is going to be the kind of this sort of embittered heel character with with Vicky Haskins um, alongside him. So I think this is going to be playing into that, playing into sort of general sense of dissatisfaction. And there's some, you know, he's good enough to make it work. He's 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 done this before, but it's really so much of the audience won't have perhaps seen his um, his earlier heel run. Um, so that's going to be. So I didn't think he, and I didn't think he necessarily lost anything by taking the pin here because the match itself kind of stood out for all the other reasons that we've mentioned so far. So it's not like, you know, it felt like, oh, hang on a minute, he's well down the pecking order. He can easily be interjected really anywhere on the card at any point. Okay, next match was Kaylee Ray versus Jessica Havoc. So mm. um, Kaylee Ray, big fan. Jessica Havoc, not a fan. <laughs> um, didn't like this one. Like The end was cool with the top rope tombstone which looked pretty horrible but yeah man Jessica Havoc is so slow she's pretty dull she did nothing for me it reminded me of watching um like an earthquake or someone in like early 90s WWE mm. who I kind of got and I got his reason for sort of being there and being pushed at certain points but I can't say I really ever enjoyed his matches. Yeah, and I think that there was this, the 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 thing about this is is watching it and just kind of really being quite bored. Um, I just yeah. never got into the match. The the crowd didn't seem like they were particularly into the nah, match. I don't, think they were. I don't know why do they bring Jessica Havoc in? Like is she that much is with she... Sammy Callahan. Oh, is that his girlfriend? Yeah. Oh, I didn't even realise that. Yeah. Oh, okay, I was going to say she's not that much of a name to my knowledge. Mm. Like I don't really. I'd hear a lot of buzz about her. Yeah. If I was going to bring, you know, a female in from abroad, there are so many others I would jump at before her. So, yeah, yeah, I was a little bit confused, but you've just explained it to me, JP. Yeah. Um, (coughs) Yeah, so overall for this one, I think by this stage, I was just like, well... I can do about seeing her again. Yeah, I think so. I mean, 
And I want to see Kaylee Ray, Kaylee Ray doing more substantial stuff for however long she's going to be around before she should be signed up. I don't know if she's going to be. I don't, that's one of the things that, that there's heard. It's not it's whether or not that's actually going to be happening. I, mean, I haven't got necessarily insight into this, but... Well, it doesn't. I haven't seen any rumours after the May Young Classic. You see, mm. sort of Tony Storm and Viper mentioned, but Kaylee mm. Ray seems to have been kind of forgotten, not forgotten about, but I don't know, left behind a little bit, which is yeah. unfortunate because she's great. But yeah, I suppose you can only have so many women on your roster at one point, and until maybe that expands and that changes a little bit, mm. you know, she might be left left behind for a while. But hey, unfortunately, that's the way it is at the moment. Um, and the main event was Team Wrestling Revolver. That's Sammy Callahan and the uh, Ohio is for Killers, Jake and Dave Chris, formerly known as uh, Irish Airborne, my favourite Ring of Honor jobber tag team. Actually, that's not true. The Rinker Express, take that crown. Um, versus the British, the British Strong Style. Sorry, you can tell I'm not used to this presenting lark. Versus British Strong Style uh, of Pete Dunne, Tyler Bate and Trent Seven. I thought this was a great end to a fantastic weekend, personally. Yeah, I was really pleasantly surprised. I'd never seen Irish Airborne live. Unfortunately, like you and Benno, my... I, f- I, I don't think my, I have, mate, my, if I'm honest. Oh, okay. My, my re- um, I'd never... Um, I think I'd seen maybe one match of them as Irish Airborne, but I wasn't necessarily... I'd, 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 the only thing I've been really noticing about them recently is they, they, they were having a run in TNA... Which make me fear the worst, obviously. <laughs> um, Sammy Callahan's been—I mean, he's—he's—he's he's, he's been quite a, a sort of regular import for the promotion now for, for quite some time. Back to the Planet days. Um, this this was great. Um, it was wild. Um, there was uh, a lot of um, really uh, crazy spots, um, particularly the um, Dave Chris. Climbing up the entrance to to dive on to dive onto everyone that was absolutely wild. I was really impressed by the Christs here. Sammy Callahan is is really good, and you could clearly tell that actually as a unit they work tremendously. Yeah, they do. Yeah. They... So in that kind of dynamic of your of your six man and, and British Strong Style now have been working this kind of well, they're very good at adapting it for whoever their opponents are. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's it's <clears throat> King of the North or whether it's CCK, they're able they're able to to adapt their matches to whoever the opponents are. And this was no different, which which shows the absolute quality of those yeah, guys. Definitely. But, but here, this was I mean, with the kind of Amari Strickland match, this was um probably my it sounds hard to say my second favourite match of the night. I mean, it was certainly up there, though. Yeah, most it. definitely. Um, there were two very different types of matches, obviously. Again, ver- great variety on this card. Like, you can't mm. knock them when it comes to mm-hmm. putting cards together, which really demonstrate kind of a d- diversity, really. Um, one thing I'll say for this one is I thought the Crists worked their asses off. I think, thought they looked like they had something to prove out yeah. there. I was actually chatting to uh, one of the Chris brothers the night before at the after party, and I was having a chat with him about um, about the Irish Airborne days, if I'm honest with you. Mm. Uh, and he was saying to me it was the first time he'd been over to England properly in a, quite a long time, and they were really excited to be here again. They really felt they had something to prove. You could really see that here. They kind of got a bit lost in the uh, multi-man tag they remember the night before, whereas here, 
Um, they they were they were involved in the real sort of outstanding spots in the match with the mm-hmm. flip from the entrance way, which is kind of like a scaffolding structure of sorts. Then obviously the crazy um, top rope. Uh, kind of flying RKO yeah. ace crusher that we got where Tyler Bate was diving from the top rope onto it must have been Sammy Callahan or one of the other brothers and I can't remember if it was Jake or Dave uh, jumped out of the sky from the other rope um, and caught Tyler Bay in an ace crusher, which was pretty spectacular. Uh, I've never seen Randy Orton, let alone Johnny Ace, demonstrate <laughs> such a manoeuvre before. Uh, so yeah. I hope it's one that um, Johnny Ace can be proud of. I think he absolutely would be. It was it was spectacular. And I have to admit, before the match, I mean, it wasn't necessarily something that I was particularly excited about. But it really, and it finished up the weekend on a really high, on a really good note. Um, you know, it was, you know, absolutely wild. It's the, the six months which I don't get bored of, much in the same way for though anyone who, who watches the Bucks and Omega. Yes, there is a formula that they go through, but I don't find, for the most part, I don't find myself, you know, I find of the act progress, I find it a bit eh. I don't know what it is. I think it's just progress Music. for me. And yeah, you, know, you know what? The music is a massive deal. Mm. Love is Blindness gives them so much more as stars. It gives mm. them like a star quality that the shitty droney progress music <laughs> that you have to hear a million times a show just doesn't give them. Um, and so I definitely think that, you know, it's a demonstration of what a song can do for a group of wrestlers when used properly. Um, Again, when will these six mans end? I don't know. When are these guys going to end up in Florida full time? Who knows? I would Who have else thought by I... the end of the year, yeah. I think they'll they'll be they'll be full time in Florida. If not all three of them, I can imagine Pete Dunne and Tyler Bates certainly being there. Who else is there they can face in a six man? Who's going to come next? It's interesting to think and sort of speculate on that. That's it. It's hard to say, but I'm sure someone else will come along. I know Pentagon and Phoenix are over for the Halloween themed show on yep. October 27th, which we are both going to be at. Yep. So will we see another six man then? Will they add someone else to the Pentagon and Phoenix combination to face British Strong Style that night? I'd have no issue with seeing that match, I've got to say. No, no, not at all. Um, if you can get the Lucha Brothers involved, I mean, I, th- I think that's going to be, you know, really good fun. Most definitely. Right. Uh, thank you, JP. Um, so the last thing we wanted to talk about here on British Wrestling Spotlight was the announcement that Super Strong Style 16 this year is moving to Alexandra Palace. Now, big deal, I think, here. Three days on the trot. Mm-hmm. Alexandra Palace. Now, Progress did one day, obviously, for their big show um, in September this year, but three days at Alexandra Palace. What do you think of this, JP? Oh, is a whole mixed bag of feelings about this. There's one of the things that is has obviously got to be acknowledged is they could have a year between the Alexand- the last Alexandra Palace show and um, the Wembley show where they could do a kind of total amount of ticket sales of around 20,000 including Mania Weekend more than that it's insane isn't it It's and for a British independent promotion to be doing that is 
God, we should amazing. be elated, shouldn't we? We, we should be absolutely <laughs> elated. And it makes us seem like, again, that we're sort of fulfilling the need of looking for negatives when there should be positives. And the positives for that are amazing because it's kind of proof positive, hopefully, if they if they sell that amount of tickets, of where British wrestling is at mm. this stage in the game, how viable it is, how many of these companies are financially viable. And it's it's a hell of a... It's a hell of a... Um, ballsy statement as well doing this I think though and we're, we're going to really get on to it you kind of it's almost easier to kind of look at the things about this that are more worrying I mean or say more worrying things that we're kind of a bit more downbeat about um, so the obvious one being which is three days at Ali Power. <laughs> yeah I, I gotta say um, if they can pull it off and they can do 2,000 each day you got to say fair play to them. Absolutely, yeah. But at the same time, I do think three days at Alexandra Palace is a tough ask. Mm. Now, this may seem, you know, like I'm thinking really negatively about this or I should be jumping for joy, but one of the things that I think has really been taken for granted by the company is the immediate location and the surroundings of Camden Town. Now, one of the things that I think makes progress shows so um, full of energy at times mm-hmm. and that's kind of responsible for the progress atmosphere is Camden. Camden being a lively, different area. You know, I, I used to visit Camden when I was a kid. I used to go to gigs there. I'd go there with my parents and being kind of wowed by it because I would see stuff in Camden that I wouldn't see anywhere else. Mm. And it still has that same kind of energy. It's kind of an infectious place, kind of draws you in. And I think for three days, it's great being in Camden as well because. Yeah. So much is just on your doorstep. You come out the ballroom, you've got an abundance of pubs, you've got an abundance of food, you've got kind of everything you need just on your doorstep. Also, and, depending where you're staying as well, you've got relatively, you've got easier access yeah. to central London. Yeah, easy um, transport links. Yeah. Now, I do think that's been completely taken for granted because rather than hanging out in Camden for three days, you'd be hanging up up a massive hill, hill up a massive hill. Yeah. In, in a big building, a big empty, well, not empty building, but a big building with a high ceiling. And, you know, it's not the nicest atmosphere, the nicest environment to be in for that amount of time. Um, there's also not many options, like, around the venue. You've got to walk for sort of 15, 20 minutes. God, I sound so spoiled. These are there the is. first world problems. <laughs> but they're so avoidable and I do think that they've taken for granted how big a show that third show that final day could have been two days at the ballroom one day at Alexandra Palace I think that would have been absolutely perfect you make the third show feel like a much bigger deal because the final that you've got to compete to get into over two days at the ballroom is at Alexandra Palace. Mm-hmm. Like that final at Alexandra Palace, this special location. This... And also, would you imagine that the winner of, of the tournament would be going through to Wembley? Yeah, so it's ballroom, Ali Pally, Wembley. Like mm. you could have easily built it that way. And I do think they've kind of missed a trick here. And they're saying stuff like, oh, we are thinking of events that we can set up for fans before and after shows. 
They'd have to go full WXW then, wouldn't they? Uh, yeah, exactly. And do people That's necessarily want to go to progress events? Yeah. Like, I wouldn't go to progress bingo for example i'd rather just go to the mm. pub mm-hmm. i've no interest really in going to the live recording of jim smallman's podcast again i've been the last couple of years and it was all right but mm-hmm. you know i'd rather just go to one of the pubs in the immediate area and the thing about those pubs in the immediate area is you see lots of fans in those pubs as well so you see people you know you see people you meet yeah. and get to know as well whereas ali pally the pubs are kind of dispersed. They're kind of a little bit yeah. all over the place. When you, depending on which direction you come from, which direction you go, there's not that same kind of community spirit at ground level in that area as mm. there is in Camden. And I just really think that's been overlooked by the company here. I yeah, I mean, it's again. I mean, I'm I'm so so wary of sounding like sort of being negative is like oh, shut up it's not that bad you go up a hill which you can get a w3 from wood green or or you know it's it's not that far it does and, make a difference when you're there for three days though well it does it does and i think this is where we have to kind of almost think remember that we are paying customers at the same time and and this is an important fact that sometimes gets lost in this in this nature of fandom that that we kind of will really willingly push ourselves this bit further to kind of make sure that we are enjoying a product and enjoying a company. And I think as a paying consumer, it's like last year with the tickets for three days, it was £48. Um, you know, there are considerations now. Uh, we don't know the ticketing prices, but I believe that the cheapest one will be 24 and then there'll be the booking fee on because of wherever so they go. You're with. looking at sort of 75 quid three days then. You are. Um, one of the other issues as well is that travel is going to come a lot more into play. There's going to yeah, be yeah, a lot definitely. less probably in the way of Airbnb and hotels. And this <coughs> is not necessarily for someone like me or for us who, you know, we we know London well enough, but also there are places we can stay as well around there. That doesn't work the same for everybody else. And that makes it incredibly expensive. And I think for this, that stuff is going to be really, um, you know, that becomes incredibly important, especially if you, you've got the train costs of coming down as well. And the fact that it is expensive to have a drink there and it's expensive it to is. be in London for three days. And you haven't got the same... This sounds weird uh, and it makes me sound like some spoiled dickhead again. But the great thing about London is variety options. You know, you've got variety of fingertips. It's mm. there for you, especially in Camden. If I want to get a certain type of beer, I know there are multiple pubs in Camden that I can go and get that beer mm. from. If I want to get a certain type of food, it's Camden. It's got bloody everything, right? Mm. Ali Pally, I'm going to have to buy shit overpriced beer that I'm probably not going to want to drink because it tastes like piss out of, you know... A tap, not essentially. Not going craft beers, which I know you and Ben are deep, uh, exactly. not happy about Exactly, that. whereas I can get a Camden Pale at the ballroom. Yeah. And it's one of my favourite beers. Yeah. God, I sound like a twat. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, stuff like that does start making a difference. You know, I don't want to drink Foster's for three days. It's shit. Yeah. Um, I think as well, there's a, there's a thing about a three-day wrestling tournament. They, they've become effectively like festivals and we've seen this with WXW and 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 their tournaments that that it becomes a festival where you're staying in you you are congregating um around that area and I think as well what you had with Super Strong Soul 16 is you had this sort of brilliant tournament which kind of set up a lot of storylines going forward so there was always stuff going on 
The fact as well, I mean, last year, one of the brilliant things about Super Strong Style 16 is the, was the pacing of it. Mm. Um, they kind of knew first night, okay, half seven they were done. And there is obviously the issue that some people are going to have in terms of if they got a ticket for Pro Wrestling Eve that night, um, how they're going to get there. And the only way I can think of the best way, the, the best way is probably going to have to be getting an Uber to Bethnal Green, which will be quite expensive. But if you're going by public transport, you might think Alexandra Palace to Highbury and Islington, and then um, and then you can get the overground, the second overground train, which goes to Cambridge Heath, which is right near Bethnal Green and the York Hall uh, Resistance Gallery. So for anyone interested, <laughs> a lot of detail there. TFL planner with JP. No, exactly. You don't need TFL journey planner. Yeah. Um, so one of the yeah, I was going to think uh, you know, but you had with. 700 people in that space who've been there for three days real emotional highs yeah, and lows yeah, yeah. and you're enclosed and you're as well enclosed and you it's get, not dispersed like yeah. it's going to be an alley pally well, effectively just trying to describe the progress atmosphere well I think one of the things with and this that's going to go yeah. in a room with, where there's two and a half thousand where we like standing up at shows so we have to we, we're standing up at the back personally at this moment in time I don't think I'm going to go, which is really sad because I've been to two of the Super Strong Style weekends and I'd say they've been two of my favourite weekends that I've ever had watching wrestling. They've been absolutely amazing. I've had an yep. awesome time with good mates. Yep. Been good moments that have happened across those weekends, both socially and in the ring and in the venue. So it's sad that I'm going to probably give that up based on venue logistics and... All the rest of it. I kind of feel with the with the price element of this is that if you are on a budget and if and I suppose we're we're speaking for a kind of uh, a minority of what this audience is now becoming. This is a company that's growing in front of us and, and a company that is moving on and attracting a larger fan base. And to give you a, 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 a kind of reference for that, the Progress Fans Group. I think when we had joined that, there was like two thousand members. Now there's thirteen thousand, and it's been it's expanded. What's happening now, though, is that Wembley is going to be expensive. Again, not just the ticket, thinking about, you know, when you're spending money there, if you're buying merch, hotel, travel, all of that stuff. You've got three days at Alexandra pa- Palace in a part of town where even if you've got, like, Airbnb, if you're in Muswell Hill, that's not going to be cheap. So there's the cost of that. Um, there's the overall rise in price, which I kind of think this is one of the the things that we're seeing with British wrestling. Yeah, a lot I, of it's been I, quite cheaply priced for a really long I time. I get and that the cost as well. going up. We've been spoiled yeah. with cheap prices for long time, and we still are. Fight Club Pro, twelve pound fifty, a standing ticket. Where else do you That's get four insane. and a half four and a half hours entertainment effectively for less than twenty quid in London? Yeah. It, it doesn't happen. You look at the price of gig tickets in the current yeah. market, yeah. and it's it's ridiculous. How look at MMA. I mean, oh. we've looked at Bellator and they wanted 60 quid. It's like, fucking Bellator, 60 quid. That's not happening. The uh, But I would say with with this, that there is, there's a lot of cost involved now. And it means you start to pick and choose the shows you're going to go to. I hope that as part of the expansion that this is going to encompass, there's a couple of things that I'm kind of hoping happen that I'm slightly wary about one of the which is there's going to have to be an expansion of the roster. There's going to have to be a lot more in the way of stories, and and if they themselves are clearly growing as a company, you're running Wembley, you're running three days at Alexandra Palace. It's going to have 
it's we're at the point where this has to, for the sake of the income, it has to go beyond three people effectively making the decisions. You, you're talking about you need to have an office at this yeah. point. This is where yeah. it's at. And specifying at certain jobs and, you know, other people who would be doing the social media, the marketing and all the rest of it. This is this is now a promotion. A you know, a yeah. large tour. Brian was having another bit of a meltdown, wasn't he? Uh, recently. He so it, but all the added work, all the added stress, all the added pressure. He didn't need it. God, I sound like I know what he's doing. <laughs> no, no, no. But I think, you know, at the same time, I mean, I, mean, I think the, these are things that ultimately would be, I mean, there is an expense in that. And I think that one of, this is one of the, the things that, that, if they're going to be running so many places. Um, but then how do they draw in this crowd? How are they going to get what could end up being near 7,500 people for three days in Alexandra Palace. I'm so sceptical that they're going to do it at the Knights 1 and 2. I do wonder whether... If... if uh, The way way that I'd be tempted to go is if there are more shows across the weekend Mm. where we see other companies running. So, Eva announced the Saturday. I can't say Eva making me want to go. (laughs) Um, I'll get you along there one day. You won't. (laughs) Um, If I'm ever going to go, it'll be this weekend. If if that weekend for Super Mm. Strong Style, if I end up going, that'll be the one I'll go to. Mm. Um, But I'm not going to have my way for it. Um, But at the same time, could any other companies run? Could we get some of the uh, smaller companies in that area running, there's that company that runs out of like Bermondsey and Walthamstow. Yep. I can't forget. I think the name there's, of it. there's, it's, you get a lot of the unprof- pro- unprofessional wrestling as well. Yeah, it's... you get a lot of the pro Joe mm. talent on those sort of shows. Uh, yeah. Would someone like that run to get people in at some point? Could Fight Club Pro, I know Fight Club Pro have a lot of the same guys, would they potentially run somewhere in the area, maybe do a late do you, evening show? Do you or... think Progress would run another event like they did at Tufnell Park? With... I think they'd be stretched too thin if they did. They'd have to start On a different in... night to Eve, obviously. Sorry. Yeah, they'd have yeah. to start employing more staff because yeah. they'd have two shows going on the same day. So it's how they handle that. Do you have... You have to give up, surely, one of uh, mm-hmm. the three musketeers on the day. And then, do you not have Jim Ring announced? Do you not have Glenn commentate? I kind of hope not. Yeah. Um, I suppose you could give up Glenn. He could he could be the sacrificial lamb yeah. that goes off to the Tufnell Dome or whatever it's called. And I don't see... I wouldn't see that. It's, it's Again, it's... It's North London, I suppose, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. And, and it, you know, you'd have to be turning it then into the kind of proper wrestling weekend like a mini mania weekend on a very localised British scale Um, there are lots of Rev Pro (laughs) I don't want to see Rev Pro latch onto the progress weekend no I I don't and and I think the two companies are so kind of distinct I mean you look at say what's going on with Global Wars which which we're going to and and it's effectively Dream Match City I mean Naito Marty is Keith Lee oh Christ I'm just going to Zach Gibson Toriano yep Again, I'm forcing my children to go to another show where they'll see um, a lot of the some of the world's greatest wrestlers, and they'll look back at me saying, "You know, will you buy me some more Lego or buy me Battlefront too?" <laughs> um, but I, I, I think, or KFC. I think, yeah, exactly. I think with this, I mean, overall, I mean, what we're watching is the kind of the company is not necessarily an independent anymore. Um, I'm. F- one thing I'll just say this, and I, I don't think this will necessarily happen, but if we see Travis Banks turn up at the Hydro for fear and loathing, I'll start 
thinking then about which direction the company is yeah. going in over next year. Now that is something that is you know complete. I'm and just seeing when Wolfgang appeared made me think: Is this how they're going to effectively kind of push this? Effectively, kind of always building each other's brands. ICW progress invasion angle that I, I mentioned. I don't know if invasion angles because I mean I've heard Jim say about this stuff before as well that it's a it's a terrible idea and I'm I'm pretty sure that they would would all say that but I mean it, I, I don't know. For this one, I mean God, I'm a fan of the Ring of Honor CZW feud. Oh, yeah, but so but this is just purely in the sense of how are you building up an audience going into you know super strong style in terms of the the roster you'd have how would you sell that many tickets and how do you also build towards Wembley because that is ultimately always part part of this mm. because you're going to have a point where both Super Strong Style and Wembley tickets I mean they're on sale now at this point you know this is where the kind of future of the company is going I mean you have got these major events is it the end of the chapter era and really it's hard to see how the chapters themselves will end up kind of standing out from these kind of big shows that they're kind of filling in their big mm. events mm. Um, so yeah these these are all sort of lots of questions there's a bit of fantasy booking in there for you I'm intrigued to see where they go with this I think like you I'm opening day sales are going to be really interesting to see where they go I'm not going to be rushing to buy the tickets partly because I know there's going to be tickets there for a while yeah, I think so. Are you at this point in time? How do you feel about Super Strong Style? Do you think you go? What are the chance you go in? If I go, I'm not likely to do three days. I'd probably go for one day. And we have, I mean, my dad's in London, so I mean, in mm. terms of being able to stay there, it's a bit easier it is for me and for us than for most. But I, you know, I didn't really like knocking around Ali Pali. No, nor did morning, I. I really didn't know, like it at all when I was. It's we a dead area of London. It is a dead area. There's really not anything. There's a big hill, which is fine if you, you know. It doesn't feel like sledging. London. Like, that's the thing about no, it doesn't. Ali Pali. No. It doesn't feel like you're in London. Like, no. there's a cracking view over London at the yeah. top of the hill. But, well, <laughs> I don't want a view. Yeah. <laughs> I've not gone there for scenic views and all the rest of it. I've yeah. gone for wrestling. And I want wrestling with pubs and all the rest of it what Ali Pally reminds me of and Progress like to use football fan culture quite a lot of the ultras and all that stuff and mm-hmm. we're going to get lots of Wembley based football chants over the next year let's be honest yeah. but then one thing I love are old football grounds or football grounds that are in a city centre and around mm. places and there's easy access to places one thing I hate are new football grounds that look like they're a piece of flat pack furniture that are built on the outskirts of a major city or town and they have no real connection or kind of, I don't know, kind of um, connect... Well, it's a connection. They have no sort of connection or... It feels like they're kind of irrelevant to the town that they exist in. It feels like it's like Oxford United. We both live in Oxford. It feels like their ground has been shoved out to the outer area of town. It's got three stands. It's JP goes a lot. I've been once, but it's a pretty crap ground, let's be honest, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, to me, Ali Pali feels a bit like that. It's not, a, you know, it's a historical building. I understand that. I understand. But there that. isn't a connection between Progress no. and, and Alexandra Palace. No, and it feels mm. like they've gone from this this ground that has this real 
community spirit is really rooted in what the promotion is. I'm a Southampton fan, so the Dell, our old ground. If you're too young, go and look it up. Cracking ground. Um, and then we went to St Mary's, and St Mary's is still a decent stadium. It's in the city centre. But you get so many other clubs who leave their kind of legendary ground that has this great atmosphere and this great feel, and they go and open up this new stadium that you just feel completely disconnected from. And mm. I feel like this is what progress have kind of done with this move. Now they and have it's a massive shame that, that their ballroom is their home, and they're not going away from that. Raw is ballroom. Um, that's the other thing that I kind of wonder, like uh, that I hope that doesn't happen. It's about how do you keep the ballroom show special. And that goes as well, obviously, when they're at the O2s in, in Manchester, Sheffield, and in Birmingham. But how do you keep the ballroom special? Um, that means that the kind of quality level they're going to have to achieve over the next year is going to have to supersede everything else they've really done up to this point. Because you're selling tickets for big venues, going for kind of really big targets. And it's, you know, the bravery is there. Yeah. It's like, how do they do it? It's going to have to be from a from a creative standpoint, be absolutely outstanding, yeah. and it's a real challenge. And that's one of their strengths that has been really we would argue up until I suppose this last year in particular mm-hmm. has always been the, the the strong point is the creativity and the fact that they even when they're booking on the fly, it's always tended to be like kind of really sharp. They've managed to turn. I think this year around. has kind of sucked regarding that, and I think you've seen a lot of rushed feuds. I think the Havoc Osprey feud seemed like it was going to last a lot longer. Mm. I think there was going to be a lot more with say Paul Robinson in that, and it kind of you know it came yeah. to an abrupt ending. I don't think it's been the best year creatively by any means in progress. No. So I think they really need hot feuds to, to get me interested again. Yeah. That's what they need. They need hot feuds, big matches. Um, and I'll start coming along again and I'd be more tempted to get the super strong style mm. if that exists at that point in time I'd love to go I'd love to be invested in the promotion again but yeah yeah I'd be interested to hear Benno's thoughts on the next show as well yeah apologies guys I think we're going to bring it to an end there this Benno-less second half what a mess of a second half this has been, let's be honest. <laughs> um, hopefully, Benno will be back to anchor the ship soon. Yeah, It feels like a couple of green podcasters without that experienced hand to steer the ship along. And one of the messages sent to us, all-inclusive beer will be the death of him. Yeah. So um, he's halfway through that. Benno, come back two stone overweight and come and carry this podcast once again, mate. <laughs> See you later. Bye. Ah, yes!